have to say that our current shop inventory is wretched. Pitiful. Absolutely lacking in everything we can entice the public with. Get out there and scour the globe until you find ingredients that will make us a fortune. Okay, sir. I went to the desert and wandered around for a week. I found lots of really interesting sand grains, plus this weird cactus that I couldn't get off my back. Oh, and tumbleweeds have no water. I found that out the hard way. Oh, it's true. Everything in the rainforest will try to kill you. I, I found some really cute, deadly frogs. <coughs> and this seed that already grew into a tree on the flight back. Maybe it's a cure for cancer? Or at least for frogs? I guess we can hope. I went into a really dark and creepy cave, and I wish you'd let me wait until the bears were done hibernating inside. But I found some moss that glows, and a snail that bit me, and these deep rocks that move on their own. They're cool. Excellent. We will parch the customers, entertain them with frogs while we give them cancer, and cure it. Then send them a snail as a take-home prize. This cannot fail as a business model. Mommy, you okay? Come with me if you want to live. Theorizing that one could travel within their own lifetime, two old RP gamer staff members stepped into the RPG Backtrack Time Accelerator and vanished. They woke to find themselves trapped in the past, playing and talking about computer and console RPGs from the 80s right up to yesteryear, driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. Their only guides on this journey are other staff and players from RPGamer.com who they meet to help record podcasts that only their audience can listen and hear. And so, Phil and Mike find themselves leaping from game to game, striving to put right gaming backlogs gone wrong, and hoping each time that their next recording will be the one that leads them home. Welcome to the RPG Backtrack. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack, that wonderful, awesome podcast show where we talk about RPGs from the way back when, right up to yesteryear. I'm one of your hosts, Phil Willis, and this is your other host, Mike Minky. Of you knew that already if you're a long-time listener to the show. That's right. And if you're not, well, then go back and listen to all 115 prior RPG backtracks from the beginning. Make it so. Continuity is very important around here. It is. I mean, if you just jump on board now, you're just totally not going to get any of our references this entire show. You're just going to be out there because you didn't read. Uh, listen, I was thinking comic books for a second there. You ever read those old comics? And they would say, you know, so Spider-Man would say something that didn't make sense, but there would be an asterisk and would say, go read comic number 213 that came out eight years ago. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So that that was awesome. Anywho, uh, we're not talking about comics. We're talking about some games. We're going to be talking about some Atelier games to help us do that. We have a couple of guests with us. The one, the only, stick them in the oven, because they're done. Mr. Michael Baker. Hello. 
And Miss Becky. Daryl. I, I, I could, wait, is it you who's changing your last name, or is that Sam's changing your last name? My last name has always been and will always be Cunningham. Is it? Is it Sam's getting Someone's getting married? I got married ten years ago, so <laughs> I'm changing anytime You're okay soon. You're there. All right. Summer, so that's not going to change either. I was going to change my last name when I got married, but Phil Sherry Fudin really didn't sound so great. Phil really sounds awesome. So I stuck with it. Because, you know, we're all modernized now, so sometimes the guys change their name. Because it's the hip thing to do. Hey, if you are if you have a last name that's terrible and your wife has a last name that's awesome, why not? Or we could hyphenate it. You know, Sherry Fudin Willis. Or you could... You know what? I'll just defer to George Carlin here. Pick a name. Pick a name. Any name. Adding we'll, a name to your adding a name to your name does not is not some kind of progressive statement. Well, you know what? The name of the day is Atelier, and we've got three last names to go with that first name. We've got Atelier Rorona, Atelier Totori, and Atelier I'm got to find a way to butcher this name, aren't I? I think you already found several. Yeah. I think you've officially massacred it. Can we just call it uh, Atelier Merfolk? I can do Merfolk. Nah, she's not what wishy-washy enough. Mm. Hmm. Does she yeah. long to be part of another world? Does, does she oh, sing to forks? It, it's me, Ruin. It's not that hard. Well, no, I can make it hard. Becky, we are talking about Phil. Oh, no. It's my mutant power. So, well, yeah. Freakish. We're talking about this trilogy of PlayStation 3 Atelier RPGs today. And on Blast for the Recent Past, we're going to be visiting a Wii title, Xenoblade Chronicles. All that, your comments, our comments, of which there are plenty, and so much more after these commercial messages. Hold on tight. Turn. We're ready to kick this bad mama off with Atelier Rona, the Alchemist of Arland. This was developed by Gus, published in North America by NIS America, released on the PlayStation 3. And I got a note here about the PlayStation Vita. Released in, is there a PlayStation Vita version, Becky? 
Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, released in North America on September twenty eighth, two thousand and ten. This is a single player RPG experience. Actually, on a Blu ray disc. Wow. So that must mean it must be like a super awesome high graphics game because why would you need to use Blu-ray as your storage method unless it was like gigabytes of awesomeness? Well, <laughs> because it's available. Because it's a, <laughs> because there was a sale on Blu-ray disc back in the because day. Because Sony didn't back HD DVD. That's right. They had a whole bunch of Blu-ray discs yeah. sitting in the storage, yeah. so they might as well use them. Even if they didn't need more than, what does a DVD hold these days? Uh, 8 gigs, uh, double density or something? So anyways, Atelier Rorona. Rorona. Isn't there a song like that, Miki? You know, you're good at those cultural references. Rorona. No, that's, that's no, not quite we, the, the song, but... I was thinking my Rorona. <laughs> That's that's it, Becky. Sing it, Becky. Jokes at the yeah, that's it, my Rorona. I knew it was. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in a podcast somehow. That 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 that's you have it. that knack. Yeah. Uh, you you it, shouldn't have opened it for me. <laughs> uh, anywho, uh, who wants to kick off by talking about the story of Atelier Rorona, the alchemist of Arland? I'll take this one. And Becky, I choose you. One. Why not? Go, Pokeball. Oh. <laughs> Rorona is about uh, 14, I think. Um, and she is a fledgling alchemist. Um, alchemy in the Arland trilogy is one of those, it's not really taught in schools or anything. It's just something you kind of know. Um, you have to know sort of instinctively. Um what is it? The oh, there is a local atelier which is run by a lady named Astrid who doesn't do a very good job taking care of it, and it's about to be shut down. Um, Astrid is Rona's mentor, and Rona doesn't really want the atelier to be shut down. Um, so the government says, "Okay, we'll give you a few years to turn things around, and if you don't, your atelier will be shut down." And so, for the rest of the game, Rorona gets to take on various requests from the townspeople and try to make her atelier successful again, because Astrid is not about to do any sort of work whatsoever, because Astrid's a jerk. Huh? Slacker. Yeah, she's... I I do not like Astrid for numerous reasons I can get into later. Um, At any rate... And um, she meets various colorful characters along the way, and they visit increasingly dangerous and interesting locales, and if you play the game right, you get to save Romanus Atelier, and if you play the game really super right, you get an extra interesting ending along with it. Mm-hmm. Anything else to add? Um, Rorona is obsessed with pies and anything cute. This is true. She's what? Verona's. Verona's really sweet. She's a little bit of an airhead. A little bit. <laughs> okay, she's a lot bit of an airhead. I was gonna say, <laughs> she's, she's actually one of the most airheaded characters in the entire series, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> Speaking of someone who's actually played almost every game in the series, she is possibly the most airheaded one. Yep. Yeah. And that, let's see. How many is this up to now? Fifteen. Um, Sixteen. Okay. Well, depending on how you count the the Game Boy Advance and, um, game and the Wonder Swung Color game and 
if you count the one that's going to be coming out next June. 16 if you don't count the extras, about 18 or 19 if you do. Either way, uh, we are looking at a very sizable series here. A very, very timely one, too, you know. It's like for every, I mean, Rorona was announced in March of its year, released June of its year, and every single year afterwards, it's been the same pattern. Yeah, it's almost like a sports, like a sports series, except not nearly as cookie cutter, I would think. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they do recycle um, graphical um, assets between games um, in the same same series, but still. But yeah, well, they also, G- Gus also, isn't the only developer that's done such a thing. They As I said, well. Ubisoft would be proud. <laughs> would EA too? Oh, probably. I don't know. I, I haven't played an EA game that wasn't by Bioware in a really long time. <laughs> well, if we find anybody out there who knows about the Madden series or the NCAA series, we'll probably hear from it. Anyway, enough of a enough of a derailment. Mm-hmm. Sure, but we have plenty of chances to derail later. Okay, okay. Up and open. So let's talk about the characters. So well, we have Rorona, or what's her full name? Roronoa Axel, was it? Or um, Frixel in English. Frixel. No, I mean, sorry, I got it mixed up with a different character. Um, so yeah, so like almost every other character, main character in the series. Her real name is a lot longer than the one that's used in the title. I'm I'm never quite sure why they went with this, but yeah. So Roro, Rorona is actually the short form, and a lot of people call her Roro. So yeah, Roro Chan. <laughs> um, yeah, some of the main people she hangs out with. Um, her best friend's name is Cordelia. Cordelia is a bit of a brat, but she loves Rorona very much. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I've, I've got a list of things here. Um, oh, yeah, Ixel. Ixel's the cute chef of the group. He is the local chef. He fights with chef-related items. And, of course, everybody's favorite, or at least Sam's and my favorite, Sturkenberg. Mr. I-don't-really-belong-in-these-games-but-I'm-here-anyway. <laughs> There's always a character like that. Always is. Yep. He is a noble knight of the realm, and he has to work very hard to keep Rorona from getting herself killed. Yeah. That's part of the fun. If, if Rorona is as airheaded as you said, then that's probably quite a challenge. Well, she's not well, exactly stupid. She's just no. kind of clueless. Yep, and actually, in in the, you you have a choice whether or not to make the stupidest decision she could make, which involves charging a dragon way before she's ready to fight it, which causes Sturkenberg to get injured. <laughs> At least I'm pretty sure that's this game. Yeah, yeah. Sturkenberg, Sturkenberg is in the entire Arlen trilogy, so I have to remember which one. He, which which, which he character stopped. got him killed by a dragon? Right. Yeah, but yeah, Sturks three-game saga of why am I following these crazy women is pretty fun. Because he's secretly in love with Rorona, of course. Oh, yes, we all know that. We all know that. She's clueless. And he's clueless, too, but, you know. I mean, I mean, would you characterize it as more clueless or less clueless than the Cress and Mint relationship in Tales of Fantasia? I have never played Tales of Fantasia, so I couldn't tell you. 
Well, after seeing those two characters in four different games with the exact same ish- relationship issues, I was ready to hit him over the head with a hammer. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is a this is a trope in Japanese gaming, so we can't really do much. That, re- that relationships are forever stuck in stasis. Yep. Well, the, I, I actually kind of like that the Atelier games are not really about romance much at all. <laughs> it's mostly until the second game in the series. Sorry. That, I mean, the, the first game in the series didn't even have character endings. There were no romantic endings. Yeah. The closest I didn't thing. Even, I, I didn't know there were romantic endings in any of the games. I guess I never got any. Yeah. Well, it depends on your definition of romantic as well. I see. <laughs> yeah, some of them are are referred to as romantic endings because there's not really much else you could call them. So they just kind of fit into that classification. There's lots yeah. of three dot answers or three dot things. No, it's just like it's all about the main character's relationship with the with this particular story character, but there's nothing really romantic about it possibly or mm. in one case it's kind of sounds really romantic, except you know you would think that in the late nineties you wouldn't be putting a lesbian relationship into a uh, main, into a game that you're aiming at the mainstream. Well, which I would. Gus has a never has never, especially in Japan, said anything about this. No, it's been no comments since 1998, I think. Um. <laughs> Gus games have more lesbian subtext than most RPGs from Japan, but you know. Anyway, there's that, there's a bunch there's a bunch of other minor characters. Um, yeah, this is what you get for having a, a much larger proportion of female characters in your cast than you find in most RPGs. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's, see, what do we have? A, um, other party members that round out the group? I can't remember. Is Pamela a party member in this one? Um, I thought she was. Yeah, she might be. I know she's just a shopkeeper in later games, but there's Pamela, a ghost who was actually borrowed from Manakemia, unless Manakemia borrowed her from something earlier. Did did uh, they, Michael? Pellier Judy for the PlayStation 2. Ah, so, so Pamela's yeah. been all over the place. Yeah, she's been in three different sub-series of the Atelier series, none of which are technically connected to each other, plus she showed up in one of the crossover games that um, Niss and Compile Heart put together. So, yeah, that's Pamela, and she, she likes to scare people, but she's actually quite nice. And yep. um, let's see, there's uh, Leonella, who is a circus performer with two talking cat friends that it's never entirely clear whether they are actually sentient or whether she makes them talk through some sort of magic power. And Tantris, who's a minstrel who is um, exactly the type of person that Sturkenberg hates. Because there's usually one of those, too. Huh? And Zio. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, and Geo, who is the king. Shh, it's a secret. Is it a secret in this game? Yeah, I guess it is. It's it's a big reveal at the end of this game. And And it's... Kind of, sort of referred to in, in Tatari at least, with as a kind of hush, hush. We're not talking about that. Yes, because he's not very good at his job. But, yeah, he'd, he'd much rather just go hang out with little teenagers and black monsters. Yep. Why am I being reminded of the king in Sukoden? 
that's most of the folks. And there's Esty, who um, shows up in later games as well. She uh, runs she runs the um, request desk and gives her run all of her uh, assignments. Mm-hmm. She's probably the nicest middle manager in the series. Probably yes, she's quite nice. Yeah, I, I like her better in uh, Meruru where she kicks ass. <laughs> That means that a lot of middle managers in this series must not be very pleasant. Well, there aren't that many, actually. Um, I think the first one to show up was actually in Atelier Annie. So You don't get a lot of middle management in this game. It's mostly direct to the customers, and the customers are awful. <laughs> Straight from life. Mm-hmm. It's like, why are you asking me for this item? I don't know how to make this item. I quick check through the guide. I probably won't know how to make this item for another two years. Why are you asking me for it? Yes. <laughs> and my friendship with you will go down if I say no, and it'll go really, really down if I say yes and try for it anyway. That's a uh, that that'd be not, a telly. Not, uh, yeah, not not a problem in the games we're talking about tonight. Yeah, they they kind of made it not quite as frustrating for the later games. Be thankful. Yeah. So there was some learning as Gust continued the series. Ooh, yeah. We like to hear that. Yes. yes even ahead. within this trilogy, the games um, improved markedly in various different areas. Uh, I mean, that happens for all of their trilogies. Is The first one is nice and cute, but needs work, and then the next two definitely improve. Yeah. So, this is... Um, one that I think you can count on for them, so Atelier Shally is probably going to be pretty awesome in June. Mm-hmm. As I say, actually, the Dusk, the Dusk trilogy started out strong, so that's good. Yep. So, do we need, does that lead us to talk about the uh, battle systems and other systems in the game? Well, Rorono is probably the first game, in, or first decent battle system in the series, to be honest. Really? That's sad. Um, well, I mean... Okay, I can't really say anything for Atelier Iris because I really need to play those sometime, but most of, most of the games in the tr- more traditional format of the series, the battles are an afterthought. I mean, it's just it's a really basic ATB-style battle system where, you can, where your attacks take a little charge time and your special attacks take a much longer charge time, and items use MP, and that's about it. Well, this, this game was not too different from... I mean, it's pretty basic turn-based combat system. Yeah, but at least, I mean, didn't, didn't this one add in where you could act, like trigger, remember, remember remembering this right, like trigger guard from, uh, there was more car- um, party interaction in battle, as I recall. I don't I, I, I don't remember if they introduced that until Totary. I might be remembering Totary. Okay, never mind. Well, I, I do I do remember that the battles were a lot more active in Verona than they were in most of the others. <laughs> I really should have played this more recently. Darn it. Yeah, it's, it's been a few years since I played it as well, but now I have to try since, to Since I've it. played five other games in the series more recently than this one. Six games, six games in the series more recently. Um, so it's just a typical JRPG turn-based combat setup? Yeah, but I mean, it's, Mostly it's fun for what it is. You, you know what order the characters are going to attack in, which is kind of nice. Yeah. And did, at least it's not completely broken the way Atelier Lise was. Did, <laughs> did, uh, did you find it challenging or an easy game? 
Um, that really depends on where you decide to go. Because, like most games in the series, you really have no reason to take on the bosses unless you really want to get your butt kicked. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. basically talking about the combat system is not not really the, the main focus of the Atelier games. Um, the main right. focus is playing about specific games. Specific games systems can be really awful. Um, so yes, let's talk about the real focus, Becky. Let's talk about that. <laughs> so the real focus most of the time is going out and gathering ingredients and taking them back to your atelier and mixing them up into good various items. Um, and pie. Sorry? And pie. And pie. Yes, there's always pie. Um, at least in the Arlen trilogy, there's always pie. Um, it's just pie. Yep. And basically... Verona has got a pretty basic setup for this. She's got for every, um, I think every, is it every year of the game that she has a big assignment? Every three months, I think. Every three months? Okay, it's every three months. Um, so she'll, she'll have a big assignment that if she doesn't complete it, she will fail and game over. Yeah. Um, but it's usually quite completable. And then she has a whole bunch of possible um, alternate assignments that are all have time limits on them and as she does those she earns money and builds up relationships with her party members and all that good stuff um so the biggest problem with verona is that they didn't pace these out very well so it's really easy to in a three-month period pretty much do everything you can do and then be like okay now what and you can't unlock new areas most of the time until you get to a new three month period. So plot locked. Yeah. Yeah, they're plot they're plot locked. So you get to go out and, you know, grind or sleep on the bench in the atelier or something like that. Or just make more and more pie. Or make lots and lots of pie if you really, really I mean, want how, to. How many varieties of pie are in this game? Well it does have a pie ending. True. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of the Atelier heroines have their own particular quirks or obsessions, and Rorona is obsessed with pie. That's about yeah. all I can say. Yeah. But I, I don't really remember how many types of pie there were. Um, there was at least a dozen. Yeah. What do you have to do to get the pie ending? Do you remember? Then um, make all the pies and avoid one of the more important endings, I guess? Probably. Yeah. yeah. So one of the big things in... in the, in the, this trilogy, I'm pretty sure with most of the Atelier games, is that there are lots of lots of like there's there are three main endings. There's the whoopsie you screwed up ending, um, the normal ending, and then the really really good ending, which is usually very difficult to get, especially on the first playthrough. But mm-hmm. then tacked onto the end of those, there's another ending that has an extra scene, depending on various things like which characters you got closest to. Um, or whether you do something really weird like make all the pies and don't get close enough to anybody else to get their character ending. Yep. Long-running tradition. Yep. Basically, especially in Rona, um, if you want to get any specific ending, you kind of have to follow a fact um, because there's really no clues in the game that will tell you how to get any endings, including the really good ending. <laughs> you just kind of yeah. have to read up. Yeah, that, that was one spot where Rorona was not much better than some of its really early predecessors was the plot flags. And, yeah. Though from some what you've said, 
a, a pie ending seems very appropriate for Verona as a character. Mm-hmm. Very. But I know how much Phil loves looking at facts to figure out each path, each step along the path he's going to take. Uh, as soon as she said that, I put a big red marker on it through my backlog. <laughs> Stupid fact-based games. Evil. Oh, okay, you, don't need, I, you don't need the facts to play the game or beat the game. It's just if you're yeah. aiming for a specific ending. Oh. Yeah. If you totally have to have Sturky Sturk's ending, then you may have to look up how to get it. No, I just don't want to get stuck with the suckiest sucky ending because I didn't read an FAQ somewhere. Well, that, that'll only happen if you completely fail a re- major request line. Oh, okay. And well, that's, that's pretty obvious on how to avoid that. Hmm. Otherwise, Sorry. it's just fun to see. Okay, let's see what ending I get this time. Yay! Because <laughs> the game is pretty short, right? I mean, most of the games in the series can be played pretty quickly. Well, I don't know. When I play them, they never seem to go all that quick. Maybe I'm just slow. Maybe he's just having so much fun with it, more fun than you are. It just flies <laughs> by for him. Just depends I love on the, the Atelier games. This one was a little slow, though. It also depends on which playthrough you're going through, because some of these games will unlock a fast-forward all-text function after the first game through. Nice. Yeah. Atelier Lena was, was like, went down to, like, an eight-hour game because of that. <laughs> Though this one does have voice acting, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, most of the disc-based Atelier games do, going back to the first one. We probably don't want to fast-forward that, though. That... That does not do favors to vocal performances. No, when, I, when you fast forward that, you just hit the button and the voice stops and it skips to the next text box. Okay. Yeah. That's better than hearing nonstop chipmunk voices. I was about to say, we are the chipmunks! <laughs> that, that is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Simon, Theodore! Okay, actually, I'm, I'm looking at this and there's actually four main endings in Verona. The true ending, the good ending, the normal ending, and the bad ending. Yeah, it's fairly normal. So yeah. that how many up? Oh, how many weird little endings on the side? Oh shit, tons. <laughs> there's there's the character endings, um, which and this is where it gets. This is how complicated it gets. The it, like for two character endings, you have to get the true ending. And then another two, you have to get the good ending. And then another two, you have to get the normal ending. <laughs> and then there's special endings. There's Astrid's ending, which you don't want to get unless you like jerks. Um, <laughs> but of course, it has the highest priority out of all the endings. So if you trigger it, you get it no matter what. Um, because from this from a story standpoint, it actually probably is the most important one to Rorona, because she really does look up to Astrid for what... Yeah, Rorona looks up to Astrid, not realizing that she's a pedophile perv. Um. No, they never proved anything. <laughs> Ain't true yeah. if you don't prove it. Except for the fact that she pretty much just says it. Hey, um. could just be joking. I joke all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's also a jerk. Um, yeah. But anyway, there's also an adventure ending. Um, if you did a whole bunch of the big nasty bosses that you don't actually have to do to win the game, there's the pie ending, which is make every pies at 80 qualities or above and finish the event of at least one character. The millionaire ending, if you're really rich, I think that's it. 
And how many is that total? I lost count. Uh, a one, bunch. Three, <laughs> four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten-ish. Okay. That's a lot of playtime if you want to go for everything. Yeah. Just, just ask Sam. Yeah. I mean, again, this goes with the series. The second, first game in the series had seven endings. The second game in the series had 13. Now, and if you are following... Yeah. If you're following the, a fact, you don't actually have to replay the game ten times to see all the endings. Um, you could save at certain points near the end of the game and then do specific things in different orders and then go back to your save and then see the various different endings. You definitely need a fact for that, though. Well, that's why we have game facts. <laughs> what a wonderful site it can be. Game facts. With, with some wonderful, wonderful people on the message boards. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. And oh, such... it's so calm and measured. <laughs> and just look at those well-written, fascinating, endlessly informative reviews that Game Facts writers come up with. Oh, yes. yes. I know. I prefer the reviews of reviews. Those are always amusing. <laughs> the reviews are reviews. All right, we've digressed. Uh, what about the music and the graphics? Beautiful music. One, nice graphics, too. I mean, it's a very pretty game. The graphics are a little bit deformed. Um, this was, I think, their first time doing the cell shading thing. Um, they got markedly better in Totary. It's pretty, but it's, it's much better later on. Okay. So I'm going to trust. Well, at, at the very least, it didn't foul up horribly on the PS3 to the point where people run screaming. No, yeah, no, it's it it looked it looked relatively nice, but it was one of those games where you see the really cool, um, you know, 2D graphics of the characters, and then you see their model on the field, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. could be better. Yeah, whereas starting with Totary, they actually looked almost identical, which is pretty impressive. Alright. So, any final thoughts before we move on to the next one? Mm. We'll get a full wrap-up on your thoughts on each game, how they uh, how they stack up next to each other, oh, and your I, overall score on the trilogy and the such I at the end. I suppose we should bring up the fact that it is on Vita now, Vita, whatever I can't get the PlayStation straight. Oh, yeah, uh, they put all of the PlayStation 3 Atelier games on Vita. Is, is there any difference whatsoever? Um, maybe some... Well, for Rorona, they um, they improved the graphics quality. They, they redid the graphics a bit, graphics engine. And, yeah. yeah. Let's see. Plus, I will look it up on the wiki. And I'm not I sure... I've only played the PS3 games. I'm not sure about the. I'm not sure about Rowan exa- specifically, but I do know a lot of the. Um, a lot of the Vita versions have included extra DLC content as part of the actual disc, um, and, and things like costumes. No need to take up some of your precious PS3 hard drive then. New Atelier Rorona. Da, 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 da. Yep, better graphics. Uh, 
supposedly extra benefits for but uh, that's probably the Japanese version. I don't I don't there's, know if there's a English Vita version. Amazon's just showing an import. I'm hmm. pretty sure they put them all out here. They may have not put Rona, but they definitely put Totori and Maruru. Okay, so let me just Yeah, and Totori has its own story that I'm sure we'll get to for the, in the very near future. Ooh, apparently New Atelier Rona had a garden where you could grow stuff outside your house. That's pretty cool. Uh, and you could decorate your workshop and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, this doesn't sound familiar, so maybe we didn't get Rona. In- I don't not seeing any on on um, any on Amazon for Vita. I'm looking at. Uh, I'm now trying to see if it's on the PlayStation Network. It, yeah, the, this wiki this wiki only has a Japanese release for Rona on Vita. Oh. Yeah, because I don't remember seeing. I kind of keep my eyes open for Vita, or, um, RPG since I got one. And I'm like, oh, I haven't heard of these before. Where are they hiding at? I don't know. The Vita's doing pretty good for itself. <laughs> yeah, it's gotten some uh, some good RPGs uh, lately. We'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> uh, alrighty. So uh, sounds like we're about ready to move on. We're going to take a tiny little break, and we'll be right back with the second game in the trilogy. Come back to entertain you further with discussions of RPGs from the way back when. We're ready to talk about Atelier Totori, the adventurer of Arland. This was developed by Gus, published in North America by NIS America, released on the PlayStation 3 on November, or sorry, September 27th, 2011. I've got a message note here about the Vita. I've been trying to find these things on the Vita. I don't know if it's hiding in the PSN store somewhere because I can't find them on Amazon. Or if that's just the Japanese. No, it says North America Vita, so I'll find this. I will. No, I- no. This, this one is on the Vita. I remember this being a story last year that it was yeah, it's hiding. launched onto the Vita with absolutely no publicity whatsoever, taking <laughs> everyone by surprise. Maybe that's and- why I can't find it. But it is out there. It is. It's hiding out yeah. there. Uh, published on the Vita, March nineteenth, two thousand thirteen. That's what I'm saying. It's got a date and everything. 
just uh, I don't know if they just completely sold out what little stock they had because I can't find uh, out. Uh, well, most hey. of the beach places have been download in um, outside of Japan. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm going to have to go and pull up my Vita so I can look at the PSN store. Or I could probably just log on online. I think they have this store online nowadays. Anywho, while I'm doing that, uh, we can go ahead and read the rest of this little block. This is a single-player RPG experience. And it does say Vita game card. Dang it, why can't I find the game card? I prefer my Vita games on a card. I'm one of those weird people that don't want to... I don't want to fill up my proprietary... Um, memory stick that I bought for the the Vita because they were awfully expensive, so I tend to cherish my space. But um, hmm. anywho, so uh, Mister Mister Baker, since uh, Becky got us started with the last one, I think that's your turn to tell us about the story behind Atelier Totori. Okay, well, so Totori's this girl from this small fishing village way south of where Rorona lives. In fact, it's... Okay, we can talk about the world map later. But one day, she and her sister find this poor young lady literally starving on their front doorstep. Which is just another sign of how ridiculously unable Rorona is of taking care of herself in any situation. Yeah. So, in exchange, um, Totori gets to learn alchemy from Rorona. This is, also... this, is how long, this is how long after Rorona? Um, well, the game starts about five years after Rorona ends. Um, the, actual, this, the actual point in the story I'm talking about happens like a year before the game starts. So, Totori's actually semi-established um, in her home village. As I, a... I thought she fished Rorona up. Or is that later on? I think that might be on. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that's how they get reunited in the game itself, because okay. Rorona is nowhere to be seen at first, uh, except as a reference as Tatori's teacher. Oh right, she she originally learned alchemy from Roro like before the game even started. Yep. Yeah, yeah. When it's revealed that it's because Rorona was on a was on an adventure and she forgot to feed herself. And she literally collapsed from hunger on Tori's doorstep. Well, that so does are, sound are, like someone who's lacking certain skill survive. sets that are kind of necessary. Yes. Life skills. Yes. Yes. Either, either that or the alchemy pot has been giving up some interesting fumes lately. I wouldn't put that past it. True. You know, after all, there's a very wide range of things that are going into that pot, right? And and even wider range of things that are coming out. Pie! <laughs> Still, Rorona clearly ought to have someone looking after her just in case things like this happen. But that's Dirk's job. As he will remind you a couple times whenever you run into him in this game. It's like, why am I following this crazy woman? Um... But anyway, so Totori, um, well, when she's officially old enough, she joins the Adventurers Guild in um, in Ireland, which is a step up from the from um, the little office that Rorona used to get her marching orders from. It's basically uh, how would you describe it? Just like a come one get one adventure 
hall, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they'll have random things like, oh, could you please get this for me? Or, oh, could you please get rid of these monsters for me? Or, oh, could you please check out this location? Stuff like that. Wait, get rid of monsters? Involve... That sounds like it would involve combat. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Um, we, we should probably mention the reason why Totori wants to be an adventurer is that uh, um, her mother um, is a, was a famous adventurer who um, disappeared a couple of years before the game started, and Totori wants to, you know, see if she can find out where her mom is and what happened to her. Mm-hmm. That's, yep. that's a hard goal to criticize, really. Yep. Actually, it's probably one of the better better character plots in the series. Mm -hmm. It's very well done. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that, that is, if you can even, if you can actually get to the point where it can, the game continues or it extends to, to let you find her mom. So. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is one of the games where you're given a three-year time limit of originally, and if you do, if you play everything right, you get to play longer. Yep. Ooh. That's a little incentive to play good. Got it. So. Yeah. Of course, this, this game still doesn't give you a whole lot of information about exactly how to play good. <laughs> well, does it at least tell you how much time each thing you're going to do will take? Yeah, yes. usually. Okay. But the secrets to getting the good ending where you actually like find out everything that happened to her mother are not clear. I know, because I tried really darn hard. <laughs> I never got it. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, I had to do that? That has nothing to do with finding her mother. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, she... she um, Totori is um, definitely not as airheaded as Marona. Um, she's... She's fairly um, fairly competent, actually. After the very after the beginning, she has trouble with alchemy at first, but she she gets better. Um, her main sort of character arc is that she lacks a lot of self confidence, and then she grows to be a lot more self confident over the course of the game, which is also a game that takes place. Yeah, uh, it takes place over like geez, like five years if you get the extension. And she starts mm -hmm. out at age thirteen, and she still looks and sounds thirteen. <laughs> The end of the game, which is her, her wardrobe's not helping with this. Yeah, her wardrobe doesn't help. <laughs> I, actually, yeah, but nobody ever needs to buy new clothes between the ages of thirteen and eighteen. This is established fact. Oh no, tr true story, true story. I was re I read an interview with the creators at Gust. It was in Japanese, right? Right. I think it was right before Tatori came out in Japan, and it was all reader-produced questions. And so one of the things that the readers asked was. What is up with Tatori's dress? <laughs> and um, I mean, because it is just the most ridiculously moe, cutesy little thing possible. And the and the developer's reply was, "Well, this is because Rorona chose her entire wardrobe to be alchemical, quote unquote, and because Rorona is obsessed with cute stuff." So we can blame Rorona. Pretty much, yes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that happens in the game, actually. Rowan's like, that's the perfect alchemy outfit for you, Totori. Totori's like, really? Yeah. Well, does, does it uh, adjust itself as her body changes over the years? Her body doesn't no, change. Oh. Not physically aged, no matter how many years you put them through. Yeah. 
about by the end of the Salberg cycle, Marie, the first protagonist, was probably close to forty-five years old, and she still looked exactly the same as she did in the first game. <laughs> That's that age seventeen. See, in, in this game, at least, or in this trilogy, at least the characters do age between games. Because Verona is, is, is notably older than she was in her own game in this one. Yeah, but, but that leads us to Maruru later on. Okay, well, yes. that's, but, well, ah. we, we, no, one, no one accounts for magic. <laughs> true, true. Of course, of course consider, uh, again, considering some of the discrepancies in ages within some of the other, game, other series of the series... Um, since you can actually get youth potions or elixirs in a lot of these games, it, we kind of assume that somebody's been drinking from the alchemy pot. Uh, <laughs> and they're regular. inexpensive? Well, they're not... Well, I mean, sure, you have to like kill a couple dragons or scalp a griffin or something to get some of the ingredients necessary, but hey, you can make it yourself. Yeah, that's that's par for the course in the end game of Al- <laughs> Tell Your Games. Eh, yep. Let's go collect fifty dragon scales. Sure. Those dragons are nothing. We'll we'll take care of them. <laughs> Fulker and dragons are actually um, quite a challenge in in all of the games. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I'm pretty sure one of those Fulker and dragons was the reason why I didn't get the true ending to Totary. <laughs> No, the reason I didn't get the true ending to Totori is because the stupid demon at the top of the tower killed me, and I didn't have enough time left to actually synthesize everything I needed to beat him. Yeah, I don't think I killed the demon either. Yeah. I also... Actually, my problem in Totori is... Um, and this 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 can afflict you in in some of the games, especially if you're not entirely um, experienced with them yet. There were... Uh, Totori... Um, Rorona only had one home base. She had her little hometown and everything sort of branched off from there. Totary has two possible home bases and tons and tons of areas that can take a long time to travel to and from between them. There are items you can make with alchemy that will greatly speed up your travel time or allow and allow you to freely teleport between your two home base towns. I did not make those until much too late in the game, so I ended up wasting a lot of time. Yeah, that um, usually happens on my first playthrough for a lot of these games. Yeah. That's a lot of my reviews for the Japanese games happened after my second playthrough, in yeah. some cases. I've never had time to play the games more than once, so... But this just... is also how I know about the fast-forward text button for the DS Atelier games. Mm. Yeah. They go much faster. Yeah. Actually, I think I played Lena three times before I put the review out. Yeah, but eventually... Um, yeah, so there's... There's the one um, Totori probably I think she's one of the most traveled characters. She's definitely the most traveled character in in this trilogy. So mm-hmm. she's got a big continent with her little rural hometown, a larger city that she has a second atelier in, and eventually she actually gets to take a ship across the ocean to lands unknown, following in her mother's footsteps. And beating up sea serpents. And beating up sea serpents. Yep. Which I do believe you have to do that to get to not fail the game. <laughs> oh, you have to do that in order to cross the ocean in the first place. Yeah. But I don't remember what the actual, like, regular ending requirements are, what she has to do. <laughs> mm. But, yeah, the, if you, it's kind of sad. If you get the normal ending, she's like, well, I was an adventurer, but now I guess I'll just hang out in the village and just be a normal village girl. It's like, that's kind of sad. <laughs> The 
That does seem like a remarkable lack of ambition. That's <laughs> because you didn't get the good ending or the true <laughs> ending. Oh, yeah. this is like my husband's running the blender, so I'm going to mute my mic. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, if you go to TV Tropes and look up the term determinator, D-E-T-E-R-M-I-N-A-T-O-R, um, that's pretty much this game, this series classic heroine archetype in a nutshell is literally the I think I can, I know I can, I am going to show the world that I can kind of character. E- even the ditzes like Rorona have a bit of this in there because she's trying to, pr- Rorona was trying to prove the government wrong in her game. But um, yeah, Totori is like the biggest determinator in the series because she's just not willing to admit that her mom is gone at all and she's willing to literally cross half the planet to do so so and then when she finds out her mom is gone she decides to destroy the demon that did it um <clears throat> it's yeah you, you don't stop the Tutorinator no <laughs> that sounds a little darker than I expected yeah if you take it all the way to the end it is a little dark okay quite dark Tatori, the game where a girl learns that her mother died because of a demon, so she's going to kill it, but good. Oh, even better, she finds out that her mom shipwrecked on this other, in this other country on the other side of the ocean and took up the cause of this local, um, I guess, convent of girls. Because basically there's a tower on, in this area with a demon at the top, and about once every generation the demon escapes. And so the local kingdom maintains a village of women, um, of sacrificial maidens, near the tower, so that whenever the demon does break out, it has a bunch of victims to take out really quick. It'll be satisfied, and it'll go back to the tower. Yeah, that doesn't seem like the sort of uh, system that would be allowed in any non-autocratic society. Oh, it's basically the feed the dragon because we can't kill it approach. And so Tatori's mom decides to try and take out the demon. And and she angers it instead? Well, it doesn't break free, but she doesn't really survive the experience much longer. Um, so Tatori decides that she's going to avenge her mother and protect the village, and she goes and she takes out the demon. You or, know what? I actually did kill yeah. that demon, which is why I was very confused why I didn't get the better endings to the game. But they were uh, actually... Like some crazy weird optional things you also have to do in order to get the better endings. That kind of annoyed me. Oh, okay, now that would have really annoyed me too. But yeah. no, I, I I wasn't actually able to beat crazy smiley face demon. Um, and I had to return the my copy of the game to Sam a, a little a bit later. So I, <laughs> I really should actually get my own copy sometime and finish this game again. So. <laughs> Yeah, this is a lot of people's favorite game in the trilogy. Um, it definitely has the strongest character story. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't... I, it has the second strongest um, stuff in terms of battle system and alchemy system, but the story's probably the best. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I think um, the Wikipedia entry for Totori actually quotes Sam in the reception section. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah we, get, we get quoted in Wikipedia from time to time on RP yeah. Game. It's kind of yeah. nice. Let's see, quote, Atelier Totori is not an epic RPG like many other games in the genre try to be, 
but its allure allows it to stand tall as a bittersweet and emotionally charged experience that may require gamers to pull out the tissue box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we'd rather have Sam's words in there than whatever IGN said. Oh, I don't think they even quote IGN here. Oh, Oh, never mind. The right here we go. IGN. The writing is mostly grown worthy, and the voice acting rarely does anything to save it either. Well, okay, I'm gonna agree with them on the English voice acting. I, I, I actually wasn't going to just. I wasn't gonna say anything either because this is the only game in the series I've actually played in English, and so I made a point of using the English voice acting option. And <laughs> I wasn't sure if I regretted it or not by the end of the game. This is the only game in the series in which I listened to the English voice acting for about 10 minutes and switched to the Japanese tracks. I almost never do that, but I could not stand Totori's voice actor. Could not stand it. She was like, it was like the worst case of a native English-speaking woman trying to sound like the Japanese voice actors and instead just sounding really dumb. I was going to say, you can't really get the Japanese cutie cutie girl moe act down very well without sounding like you should be taking some, uh, extra medication. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to go into my sociological rant on how different languages have different um, appropriate voice pitches and stuff. <laughs> that should be painfully accurate to anybody who's listened to multiple languages, or anything in multiple languages. But... Which, unfortunately, does not include a lot of the people in charge of uh, voice for TV shows and yeah because you understand the market research does not mean you understand what it will sound like in practice just because you understand the market research does not necessarily mean that you understand the market or the consumers it just means that you've got all these nice little numbers lined up and you think you know what they mean well this is clearly the trend this is what they want or at least this is what I think they want yeah, and you, we can take that particular meme and use it to blame, or use it or pin the blame on the last decade of gaming. For, on just on that, okay. Oh. Yeah, that would that would turn this into a massive, massive show, and um, I don't think we really want to do that today. No, we need to save that. We need to save that for one of the other podcasts. But oh, I was going to say that sounds like a good one for the uh, ATP podcast. Podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Anyway, I was just reading here that, um, well, about the Vita version, um, it apparently got an R18 plus rating on the Australian classification board for some reason. <laughs> because what? Australia's insane. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Australia's insane. I mean, the PS3 version got, in Australia, got a PG rating, but the Vita version's getting an R18, or got an R18 plus rating. I'm not sure if that was permanent or anything. This is just a mention on the Wikipedia Is page. anything cited on Australia's rating board page to justify why that would be? References to sexual of... violence. <gasps> no! What will the children say? I'm trying to think of the... where! <laughs> yeah, what would that be? I mean, there's... I there's have the... no idea. <laughs> It is true that every game in the Arlen series features a scene in which um, SD gets drunk and starts um, grabbing at people's boobs. But <laughs> that's... 
Yeah, that's that's Esty. <laughs> it's kind of Esty at a party. <laughs> you know? I mean, I guess that could be what they're referring to. Either that or the whole village of sacrificial maidens thing. That's like I'd have to see what Dragon Slayer got in, in Australia. <laughs> and that could be a mistake on the thing. Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. Say, Becky. Yeah. I understand there was quite a story with Tatori's Vita release. Vita. Or, was there? Vita. As in, there was absolutely no publicity. Oh. Was that? That was the surprise release. Yeah. The one where everyone went, where'd this come from? Well, what happened was, Gust, um, which used to be owned, I don't know if it was owned by Nipponichi or if it just had a publishing agreement with them. It anyway, had a publishing uh, agreement because Gust is older than Nipponichi. Okay. Um, Gust got bought by Tecmo Koei. And Tecmo Koei USA is mostly all about, um, whatchamacallit, uh, the... Dynasty Warriors? Dynasty Warriors, yeah. And, yeah. and, and a few licensed titles. Um, so it kind of forgot to even put out a press release <laughs> that Atelier Tutori Vita was coming out here. So, like, all of a sudden, one day, Atelier Tutori Vita came out, and all the websites went, what? <laughs> Including Which, us. Think about it, the reaction was probably more effective than the advertising that they might have planned for it. Yes, because, because everybody, including sites that no- normally really cover this series, put out an article saying, surprise game arrives. Yeah. Um, I can only imagine what Tecmokoi would have actually done for the advertising if they'd remembered to do it. And, again, I really doubt it would have been that effective. Well, they have been trying a so little harder with subsequent games. Genius, but... <laughs> but I really doubt they did it on purpose. No, I think they just forgot. Yeah. No, I think that's attributing way too much credit to the PR department. Yeah. Plus, it's something that the head of the company would probably have axed because there was a high chance of it going bad anyway. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, this is also the PR for a company when I, um, I, I asked... Um, the person who runs their official company Twitter, if they happen to know approximately when um, Eshka and Logie was going to drop um, on the PlayStation, and the person who ran the Twitter favorited my tweet and then did not answer the question one way or the other. I was like, okay, so you read the tweet, you favorited it, but you didn't actually even say, no, I don't. <laughs> Well, clearly that wasn't important to address. Favoring it was enough. Oh, so we have five minutes left on this game. <laughs> well, well okay. what How else is there to say? Um, um, okay. Well, we haven't really talked about a lot of the characters yet. Um, there's uh, some notable characters in this. There's returning characters. Um, good old Sturkenberg uh, is back. And um, he and Rorona. This is this is a game in which I think there's the most sort of will they or won't they between Sturkenberg and Rorona. They have some cute little scenes together, but nothing happens as always. Um, there is, sorry, because it's cuter that way. I guess. Um, 
There's uh, Gino, who is Totori's childhood friend. Um, he's a very enthusiastic little guy who wants to become a, uh, a great knight, and so he uh, manages to badger Sturkenberg into training him. And um, there's Ceci, who's Totori's sister, um, who does not really want Totori to be um, an adventurer. Yeah, Ceci has moved on on the mother issue, and she really doesn't get why, Tot why Totori is still obsessed, I guess is the right word. Well, I think it's more she's worried about Totori, you know, getting hurt. Or also well, that's true, because I mean, it looks like you could knock Totori, um, Totori over with a wet noodle at the beginning. Yeah, well, it, it always oh, looks like you can knock her over with a wet noodle. There's almost nothing to her. She's more dressed than girl. Yep. But, um, and, uh, where, I had my list of characters. Uh, there's a jerk ass noble. I can't remember her name. I, I never used her in my party. Sorry? Uh, there's always at least one like that. Or yeah. regular like that. And I never used them in my party. Mm. Uh, where are the totary characters? I'm missing. Oh, yeah, there's. Wait, is that is he in this game? Yeah, I guess so. There's Mark. He's a basically a scientist dude with glasses. I don't remember much about that. Oh yeah, and there's Melvia. Melvia is great. Melvia is a warrior uh, woman who comes from Totori's village, and other than Ceci, she's sort of a big sister character to Totori, and runs around with a giant axe and a coconut bra. Mm-hmm. Well, let's face it, Totori probably needs the big sister. Yeah. <laughs> now, Melvia's great. I actually, I liked uh, I liked Melvia's uh, English voice actor, but her Japanese one was pretty fun, too. Anybody else? I don't remember. Um, well, there's, let's see, the homunculi, they were in this one, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Kelly, we haven't really talked about the alchemy system because I don't even know how to explain the alchemy systems very well in words. You put, stuff, you put stuff together, you stir the pot, and stuff comes out. Yeah, but there's, it's much more complicated than that. It's always actually. much more complicated than that, but especially... Items, I mean, items have different... The yeah, they have different qualities, and a lot of your requests want items with specific qualities. And every game has sort of a different way of getting qualities from items, and you know, a lot of items require other items that you have to make, so you have to get like item making chains. But the homunculi um, make your life easier because you can get them to gather things for you, so you don't have to keep going back to beginner forest A to keep getting, you know, puny drops. Um, and and they will also synthesize things that you have synthesized before, which is nice. Mm -hmm. There's there's a fair number of um, shortcuts in. Atelier in the Arlen trilogy and also the uh, Dust trilogy that that make things a little less tedious for you, which is mm -hmm. nice because I remember playing Manichemia and a lot of that alchemy was like, wait, I have to make how many things all over again to make this item? Yeah, what, one of the one of the issues I had with the PlayStation generation of the Dust games is that they took out the fairies for the most part. I mean, most um, like the the earlier games in the series. And one of the DS games had I me. Mean, you could hire 
up to seven fairies to mm. do stuff. And so you could actually turn your Italian into a nice little sweatshop and produce like like 50 bombs in a week. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think in in Atelier Verona, you had um, homunculi who looked sort of like young adults, and I think Astrid had made them. Yeah. She's really good. And Totere Verona attempts to make a homunculus like she like Astrid had made, and instead makes little itty bitty homunculi that, um, of course, because Verona made them, you get them to work by giving them pie. Mm-hmm. So you end up. I'm making, sensing a motif here. You end up making a lot of pie in this game. More than in Verona, about the same or less. Well, more because you need, you need the pie in this game. Does this continue to, to Maruru? Is there pie in Maruru? Probably, because Maruru's in that one too. I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember who does the work in in, in Maruru. Let's see. I'm using my handy Atelier wiki here. All right, they're called. Let's see. Home. Yeah, they're called they're called Homs in Maruru. They're Chims in Totori. And I'll have to look. Well, I'll find out when we talk about Miraru. I'll say who it is. So the little guys are called Chims, and they're adorable. But yeah, these games in general have um, have a strong cast of characters, and a lot of the fun in the game is building up relationships with the characters and seeing their little character scenes. Some of which are, you know, some of the character arcs are more serious, some of them are very silly. Yeah. Well, um, one big change between Totori and Rorona was the actually the world map in many ways, it was just the way that she walked on it, right? Because mm-hmm. I remember Rorona, the, the map wasn't so much a map as it was this nice little illustration um, that you just kind of walked between. And Whereas in Totori, it's an actual map that um, there are different spots along the line in various towns where you can just stop and explore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it just it looks and it handles quite a bit differently from the first game. Yeah, and it looks like you're walking around on an actual map and going mm-hmm. into the field screens from there, and it's it's a great deal more extensive. So, you know, you'll have some of the areas later on in the game, it's like, oh, I get to walk for 30 days to get here. And and, and, and I think some of that is even with when you're wearing the, the little winged sandals that make you walk faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but the time limits in this game are not as strict. Um, Rorona, every single... Um, thing was on a pretty strict timeline. I think Tortori's requests are not quite as strictly timed. Yeah. Um, a lot of the games in the series, they vary between gated, where you have like deadlines at very strict points, and non-gated, where yeah, you get from the beginning into the end, and we're not really going to tell you everything that you need to be hitting along the way. Mm-hmm. So, Rorona was actually much more gated, because you ha- every three months you had to fulfill one of these projects for the government. And Totori, you're given the adventure license board. And the only real gating point is three years in when um, when you do the stuff that makes sure, or that makes it possible for you to continue for the next two years. 
yet. Yeah. Um, and I think the individual adventurer assignments that you get have time limits, but they're not quite as they're they're a little bit longer. I think, and they kind of have to be because you have to walk a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The the individual quests that you can take all have time limits, but the game itself doesn't have strict. Yeah. You have to do this by this point. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it, it always varies from game to di- to game on whether or not you yeah, even have yeah. those. So it, the, it depends, the play- I think, on the game's theme too. Because in this one, you know, her biggest thing is to sort of grow as an adventurer and find her it's, mom, and that's not something that needs to be strictly timed. Yeah. Even so if it actually is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but there's a lot of space to go any which way. Of course, I love freedom to get yourself completely lost, too. <laughs> so, Tortoise possible endings. She has a bad ending, a normal ending, a true ending, and then appended onto those are character endings, um, a chim ending, and a rich ending. So, there's no pie ending in this game, but there is a chim, chim? ending. Yeah, the chims are the little homunculi that help her work. Okay. There's the gym ending, which probably involves pie. <laughs> but yeah, this one is... Um, yeah, the normal ending, most people will probably get the normal ending. In order to get the true ending, you have to satisfy the conditions you need for the normal ending for all six of the party members' character endings. And you have to... Jeez, you have to trigger everything. Basically, you have to be able to trigger any possible ending, and if you can trigger all of them, you get the true ending. So, like, killing the demon and saving the world and all that stuff doesn't matter. You have to do all this fiddly bits with all the characters and all the other endings, and you have to be really rich. So, yeah, getting the true ending in this game is a pain in the butt. Wow. Yeah. That... yeah. And there's okay. no good ending. There's just a normal ending where she settles back down in her village. So, <laughs> that's kind of annoying. Okay. So, final thoughts. Sounds like this is a better game? Yes. Oh, yeah. And so, sounds like a might even be a better jumping on point for some people. Well, except you do have a lot of backstory with Rorona, but how much I, like is it real? How how important do you think that is? It's mm. it's mostly important for sort of um, you, there's a lot of there's a lot of returning characters that come back. Um, not all of them are major characters, but it's it's helpful. You know, you kind of know where Rorona and Sturkenberg are coming from and stuff like that. But and, and it's also. It, Morona gives you a better idea of the world because um, this is all set in the same kind of basic world. But it's not strictly necessary. Hmm. You, you could probably start with Satori and then Rorona would make a lot would be good for helping to get more sense out of the setting. Yeah, except I don't know if I'd want to go back and play Rorona after Tatori. The because then... Which is why they did the new um, Atelier Rorona release, which was an attempt to try and improve, I guess. Mm-hmm. Except I, I can't play that one because I don't have a Vita. Unlike, unlike Morona, uh, like you will not run out of things to do in Totori because there's so much oh, more to see and do and 
Um, how many more optional things to do. How many crazy optional bosses? Too many. <laughs> I remember they had some really beautiful ones. Yeah. Yeah, oh, in this game, we it, it, we should mention, we didn't mention it, it is gorgeous. Um, it's like light years ahead of uh, Morona in terms of how good the graphics look. Um, really excellent design, and um, the character design is, is good in all of these games, as long as you're okay with the character design sort of being geared towards teenage Japanese girls. Um, yeah. Oh, with the, very cute you... outfits, right? Very, very cute outfits and um, very good-looking guys if you are a Japanese teenage girl, or actually in many cases a, an American teenage girl. Well, and in many cases an American regular woman of any sort uh, when we're talking <laughs> Sturkenberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, okay, apparently the new the new version of Atelier Rorona was released for PlayStation 3 as well, so I might pick it up eventually. It was only released last November. So. Does that mean it's a budget release? Um, no. Oh, too bad. It, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not a budget release or um, one of the special price releases. It's a remake of the first game. Well, okay, that that does make more sense then. Yeah. Hmm. yeah All right. All right. I think well, we've delayed it long enough. It's time for Phil to butcher the name. Well, we'll, we'll do that after some music. Because you should be peaceful before you get all butchery. Uh-huh. Haha. Hold on a second. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're ready to turn up the heat with Atelier Mermaid, the Apprentice of Ireland. 
<laughs> this is developed by Gust, released by, on the PlayStation 3 by NIS America. This, uh, this was released on the PlayStation 3 in North America on May 29th, 2012. And according to the notes, I'm still looking for it, on the Vita North America on September 3rd, 2013. This is... I'm even having a hard time finding it on a PlayStation store. And I believe all the Vita games are supposed to be... I mean, that was like the big thing with the Vita. I think every game that's released is also released on the store. So, uh, yeah. It's there. Uh, anyways, single player... Is Sony having a problem with its store recently? I'm going to go upstairs and get my Vita. Because I'm looking at their online store, and I'm only finding one... I'll tell you. I'm trying to find anything in their online store on the I, web. I gotta, yeah, on the web. Yeah, it's a piece of. I gotta go get my Vita and actually type it in on there. Anyways, this is a single player RPG. So, who wants to who wants to talk about the story of Tellier Merfolk, the apprentice of Arland? Alright, well, I guess I, it's my turn again. Um, so, Meruru is, um, unlike uh, Totori and Arona, who are just kind of regular old rural, gra- uh, rural gals, Meruru is a princess of a small kingdom, the Kingdom of Arles. Um, and it's a ways away from the Republic of Arland. Unfortunately, she won't really be a princess for too much longer because Arles is being um, sucked into the Kingdom of Arland. Um, and it has annexed, yes. I was looking for that word. <laughs> oh, you, you mean political sucking in instead of physical sucking in? Yes, yes. No, okay. yes. I suppose in an RPG that is always a possibility. So I guess we should remember. I guess we should mention that Geo, the king of Ireland, kind of abdicated at a, some previous point. Yeah, so, yeah. It's not like he ever ran anything anyway. Exactly. It's it's like the epitome of his. Um, yeah, I'm king, but I don't really care much for it approach so yeah so Arland is a republic and Arles is negotiating and I guess a, a merger into the republic for various yeah, reasons like because so, basically Arles is a backwater kind of place and doesn't have very much development so wait, um, he abdicated and he had no he just allowed it to become a democracy all of a sudden yeah, he's yeah, I mean, okay. he has his own voice in there, and he he does a lot of the political negotiations for the republic. But I mean, it was his ministers running the kingdom for the entire time anyway, so he just kind of made it more official. <laughs> okay, just I'm just making sure. Yep. Yep. We have lots of constitutional monarchies, so I wanted to make sure this wasn't one of those. Well, it, it, technically, it probably is, but it's kind of a constitutional doesn't give a damn, Chrissy. <laughs> If Queen Elizabeth could not be bothered to attend any of the official functions she does. Pretty and much. also if she walked around with a walking stick that was actually a sword beating up monsters. Well, you never know. And pretending to be a superhero, I'm... which is exactly what Geo does in this game. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, okay, so, yeah, if we could have Abraham Lincoln <laughs> Vampire Hunter, I'm sure we could come up with something similar for Queen Elizabeth II in her younger days. <laughs> but yeah. yeah so yeah so Meruru is going to be a princess she or is a princess she's just not going to be politically a princess for much longer yep so she's and, kind of trying to figure out what to do with herself um and she, her friend is the local um town alchemist whose name oddly enough is totary 
Um, so this is where Tortory has settled down out in, in, in um, Arles uh, several years after the events of her game. Um, and Meru has sort of been learning alchemy on the sly from Tortory. Um, and dad doesn't um, really approve. No, no, her da- daddy the king does not approve. Um, but Arles is going to have to do a whole lot of development um, in order to actually successfully merge in with, with Arland because it's behind the times. Um, and Meru wants to help. So she's like, hey, I want to learn alchemy. Then I can help develop the kingdom. And Daddy Dearest is like, no. And then she whines and whines. And he's like, fine. If you can become a really great alchemist in X amount of time, then I'll let you keep doing it. Otherwise, I'll make you go back to being a regular princess. Yeah. So, so, this... so oh, for this game, the main theme is self-discovery and self-actuation. You, would you yep. say that? Yep. Yeah. Ooh, and... I like to discover myself. It's not that kind of game, Phil. Oh, oh. <laughs> no. no. If no. you want that kind of game, there is an interesting video, book, and game store about a ten-minute walk from my apartment that I'll let you visit sometime. And <laughs> I, I don't, don't even want to know. There I don't really <laughs> Yeah. I think you've just piqued Phil's interest. <laughs> I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did. Along with the interest of of several people listening. Yeah, yeah. And Sorry, one of the, the raciest, and one, and the radio, I that... actually get a game from there and review it for April Fool's Day, but not not this year. <laughs> the raciest <laughs> that uh, Mariru gets is the sea is a scene in which she's being dressed by her maid, which is not particularly racy. Um, but apparently. Um, the game actually had to be re-rated by the CERO in Japan a month after it came out. For what reason? Uh, I have, uh, let's see, suggestive scenes, according to this. It was re-rated from an A to a B, um, ages 12 and up. 12 and up seems appropriate for this series, yeah. yeah. There's, there's always, there's always some, a little bit of mild sexual suggestion going on, but like... I don't know, I just came out from drunk demon gaze, so these games oh, are, you know, oh. incredibly innocent. Oh. Oh, yeah, that, that was the bane, I mean, that kind of stuff was the bane of my existence the third day of TGS last fall. It was like, everywhere I went, it was, every presentation was a bit of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hey, look at this. So, yeah, yeah there, there's a reason why I quit TGS fairly early on that Saturday. And it wasn't just because of my migraines. Uh. But anyway, back to back to cute little games that are fairly innocent. Maruru. They have mild mild amounts of lesbian subtext, and that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, but that's par for the course in the series. Yeah, and I'm down with that um, most of the time, with the exception of Astrid because she's a creepo. Um, but that goes without she, saying. Yes. And she shows that up in this game, um, because this game is the uh, the reunion of all of the eight previous alchemists, except for there's one little problem, in that for some reason, Verona shows up and she's a little girl. She has been uh, apparently and, Astrid was experimenting with youth potions and did something like, "Hey, Verona, try this. It tastes great," because she didn't want to see what happened, um, or she didn't want to test it on herself. No, actually, she wanted to test it on Rorona because she was trying to get Rorona to be a 14-year-old girl, which was her ideal age for Rorona to be, which is why Astrid is a pedophile creeper. 
Never I, I I got the Verona ending in this game. Oh, okay. I, I got the not perfect Verona ending, unfortunately. In the perfect Verona ending, she returns the age she's supposed to be. Which in the less be- than perfect Verona ending, she, uh, Astrid gets it right, and Verona is forever 14 years old, because that's the perfect age for her in Astrid's where, eyes. And Verona should be like 30 by the end of this game, right? Yes, yes, she should be. And, and unfortunately, apparently, I did not quite get my Verona storyline done as far as I should have. But... Um, anyway, uh, one of the cool things in this game is that, um, when Meru makes, um, so one of Meru's main goals while she's becoming an alchemist, um, daddy says, okay, but you also have to help with the development of the kingdom. So she has to upgrade a bunch of things in around the kingdom. So for instance, there's a field area not far from town that starts off as the ruins of a fortress. And then Meru makes a whole bunch of things through alchemy and um, brings them there, and a fortress gets built. And that's really cool, because it actually gets built, and you now, whenever you go through the field area, you've got a fortress there, and you get to find new items and stuff like that. So there's a number of areas throughout the game. Not quite as many as I thought there would be, and I think they could have done a little bit more with it, but it's kind of cool. A number of the field scenes sort of transform after Meru upgrades them, and that's pretty cool. So how big is Arles? I don't remember. I mean, she she does get to go outside the kingdom, right? Um, a so, little, a little ways, but not super far. Yeah. I, I didn't think so. I mean, I I'm not sure. If this uh, this is one of the games I haven't actually beaten in the series. It's like one of two I haven't actually mm-hmm. beaten in the series. I need to get around to it. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah, she goes. I think she goes a little ways outside the kingdom, but you know the whole main thing is is fixing, fixing up her kingdom, mm-hmm. um, and so she's got uh, she's got some um, time limits. The time limits in this game are she has to do X amount of development, and you can actually kind of choose which direction to develop, which buildings you want to build in which order, and stuff like that. Um, some of the development is in the capital city, which unfortunately you don't really see it, um, but some of it is also out in the fields. But if she, once she, if, as long as she does X amount of development by X date, then she passes and can go on to the next year in the game. Mm-hmm. And then why is, this, why is this making me think of SimCity of all things? <laughs> They're probably well, it's a little farther. Like mm-hmm. But yeah, it's and at the end, then you know the sort of successful ending is that you get a good merger with Arland, and then you get whatever character ending you get. So it's definitely not as epic a journey as um, Totori has, and, and that's why a lot of people like Totori's story better. Um, what I liked about Meruru is that um, it had some of the be- it had pretty much the most easy-to-work-with alchemy system of the three games. Um, it did some cool stuff with it, and um, also had probably three games slowly sort of improved the um, combat system as they went along and added more interactive things and um, more interesting things to do than just hit attack, attack, attack. Phil, are you listening? Attack, attack, heal. Attack, attack, heal. Morning, Will Robinson. Attack, attack, heal. <laughs> so you're saying it's not just the standard attack, attack, heal that drives me absolutely bananas and ape shit. Well, well you can't you can't really attack, attack, heal in in alchemy in in um, the Gust games anyway because. 
there, you don't usually have much of a healer. You have to use alchemy items to do various things, and you can't just constantly heal. And so why attack, attack, heal when you can attack, attack, bomb! Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's much more fun. Puny bomb! Pretty bomb? Oh, I like pretty bombs. No, puny, puny bomb. Oh, okay. Good. Punies are basically they're the gust version of um, the Dragon Quest slimes. They're little ah. gumdrop critters. Yeah. And you yep. you you puny, have to puny. mine them for many many alchemy ingredients and. Yeah. Yeah. yeah puny puny is the Japanese word for kind of soft and kind of nice, soft and squishy. Uh-huh. And so puny punies themselves are modeled off of gummy candies in Japan. Yeah, they yeah. look like gumdrops. Yeah. Is that the sound effect that uh, Toriyama characters make in Dragon Quest for the Puff Puff rooms? No, that would be Puff Puff. Okay. <laughs> I, just, I just had to establish that. Yeah. As long as we're on this vague subject line. <laughs> so, though in Dragon Quest Seven, the Puff Puff girl did actually played a uh, bugle. I don't want to okay. talk about Puff Puff today. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Becky. Puny Puny Puny. Yeah, I, I was so sad when they took the Puny Punies out of the um, desk games. Mm. Yeah. Oh well. Okay. End of an era. <clears throat> yeah, I guess they weren't in. Uh, yeah. Mer- yeah, Meru was the last game to have Puny Punies. Let us all shed a t- let us all shed a tear for the gumdrop monsters. Oh jeez. That would be like Square Enix taking the slime out of Dragon Quest, wouldn't it? Or the flan out of Final Fantasy. Okay. <laughs> so Yeah. So, Becky, what was your favorite attack item out of this trilogy, out of curiosity? Oh jeez, I don't remember what most of them are called. I, I'm actually my my confession is I've up until Eshka and Loki, I was not very good at using my alchemist characters. <laughs> um, theoretically, your alchemist character can be like the most powerful person in your party because you make them all sorts of super powerful alchemy items, and then you blow things up with them. But I was never good at remembering to make lots of super powerful alchemy attack items. I was usually better at making tons and tons of stuff for various um, quests that I had instead. Um, Which is quite so... sense of game subsystems to help make stuff for you in the background is always such an important part of the series, and it got really yes. annoying with that out of the series for a few games. Yes. Yes, and that that that, that was in this series for sure. Um, I have to go find who does it in this in this game because I can't remember. Oh, I guess there's oh, apparently they go back to hum. Okay, they go back to Homs. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't have to bake lots of pies anymore. So that's nice. Um, Wait, you don't you don't have to or you don't get to. Oh, you can still make pies. Okay, <laughs> it's got it's got Rorona in it there, and and, and in fact. Um, many of the things. Rorona is actually funny in this game because she retains her um, great alchemical knowledge, and she's a master alchemist at this point. But it's sort of locked away in her head because she's a little girl. So <laughs> you have to sort of talk talk Rorona into trying to um, get her to draw crayon drawings of things. And then when you interpret the crayon drawings, it turns out you know you're making this crazy miraculous alchemy item. <laughs> 
So she's a little girl savant. Yeah, well, except that, you know, she's actually supposed to be a 30-year-old woman. <laughs> and I can't remember where I was going with that. But anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was never good at, at, at using my alchemy characters. So um, I know there's some crazy high-level bombs I probably never even made. But Puny Bomb was always a fun one because it's always got a very silly animation associated with it. You have a giant blue slime falling out of the air and crushing your enemies. Is that is that in my river or was that in one of the other games? I can't remember. Yeah. And then there's also oh there's also um no I wasn't even thinking of the okay I was actually thinking of the um, I can't remember what they're called the spiky fruit things. You make a bomb out of those. And yeah, that one looks very silly. Huh? Um, uni in Japanese, I guess uni. is what they. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're called they're called unis in English too. Yeah, tree earth, was, basically. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they're they're like mutant chestnuts. Yeah, basically. Tree urchins. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really prefer that translation, but I never went with it. Go figure. Yeah, that's usually one of the first bombs she learns how to make. Mm -hmm. That one's usually funny too. But yeah, most of the time I actually in in Meruru, like in previous games, I I'd liked a lot of the cast and sort of um, swapped them in and out in Meruru. Um, I mostly preferred Sturkenberg and Esty. Um, Meruru's original cast was not as exciting as some of the previous ones were, so I used them mostly the the two returning characters and and um, Meruru. And that was pretty much what I did. I know some people just used uh, Meruru and Totori and just blasted everything to bits with alchemy bits, but since I wasn't good at that, I used Zirkenberg and Esty, who gets to be a fighter in this game, and it has awesome ninja knives, and that made me happy. So that's what I did. So, would you say Esty is taking out her frustration from having to deal with years and years of not-quite-competent adventurers? Probably. Yes. And, and 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 apparently she's a little worried about the fact that she's probably about thirty and isn't married yet. But Well yeah, in, in certain circles that is pretty old. Mm -hmm. Yep. I wasn't too fond of that particular sto storyline, but I did like the part where she kicks ass. <laughs> And yes, in this game, Sturkenberg, um, the Sturkenberg and Rorona stuff is obviously not a big deal in this game, considering she's eight. Um, so, so instead, Sturkenberg is fixated on creating his own order of noble knights and spends the entire game attempting to create an order of noble knights out of people that are not particularly interested in being noble knights. And he also has an, he has an arch enemy, um, Rufus the uh, sort of stuck-up butler in the castle um, and they are naturally arch enemies because they're really quite um, similar and they finally find they finally find common ground in that they both love pigeons and there's it's been a thing throughout the whole game Sturkenberg uses um, messenger pigeons all the time but then as soon as they find out that they both love pigeons it's discovered that Sturkenberg loves white pigeons and Rufus loves black pigeons and then they fight again <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, we we just need to get both of those guys a copy of Hatchetful Boyfriend or something. Yeah, yeah, probably. 
and then they can argue over which pigeon boyfriend is the best. Yeah. <laughs> Uh. Don't make me go on about Pete and repeat. Okay, don't do that. Okay. Okay, obviously that was a joke only my grandfather knew. For good reason. Yep. Never mind. Otherwise I'd have to explain it. We don't want to do that. So, Sturkenberg and his quest to make Noble Knights. Uh, who else is there? Uh, well, we've mentioned Verona and Tatori. They're there. Uh, uh, there's Kena, who is um, Meruru's um, maid and um, basically is along for the ride in order to try to take care of Meruru and help her as much as she can. Um, she is actually, I think, a bit of a healer character. Um, she walks around with a picnic basket, and that's her weapon. And she will beat people over the head with the picnic basket. It's not very effective, but she does. <laughs> is it an, an ordinary picnic basket? May- well, it starts out as an ordinary picnic basket, and then you make, you know, more and more ridiculous-looking picnic baskets as you go along. Well, is, it, you, is it made of the standard wicker or whatever picnic baskets usually are made of? Well, the first one is. Okay. But you all, they, all of the games have a um, a uh, an armor smith, and you deliver various items that you've collected to them, and they make you new weapons and armor. Um, so your weapons and armor change throughout the game. Uh, other characters, um, Mimi, the stuck-up aristocrat, is back, and once again, I did not use her <laughs> and paid no attention to her whatsoever because I don't like her. <laughs> Um, there's there's Leas, who is the younger brother of um, Rufus the butler, and his entire shtick is, I must be stronger! And so I never used him either, because he was annoying. Oh, those morons. Yeah, you know, every Japanese game has one. He's, he's <laughs> yeah, just uh, looking he's got- for a Shonen Jump series to be in, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know, I mean, Atelier's always been good about cycling through its stereotypical characters, but there are some that just pop up more frequently than others. Yep. So. Gino, um, Tatori's uh, little friend from her game, is um, in this game, and he got hot over the years. So that was appreciated by various members of the uh, public. Uh, who else is around that? Uh... Oh, right. Uh, and... There's let's see yeah that's pretty much that's pretty much the main characters as I said not not as strong a cast as the other two games in my opinion um, which is why I mostly use returning characters that I previously had liked um, hey at least you had that option yep yep well yeah they're they're main characters in this game too they just happen to be characters that came back from other games that were stronger characters than the New characters. Uh, are we cutting out a bit? Or is it just me having problems hearing? Mm, Sounds okay on my end. Too. Uh, I think I'm having some problems with audio on my end. Yeah, well? it sounds like you might be. I don't know. You can always hang up and dial back in. 
Sometimes resetting the connection helps. Okay. Um, or rebooting or the such. So is there anything else that comes to mind that you want to chat about? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I've talked a lot. So. Yeah. And and Becky definitely knows more remembers more about this game than I do. So Well, like you said, this is one of the very very few Atelier games you haven't finished. Yeah. One of two and the other one I can't I'm never going to get, I guess. Unless I want to spend $70 for a game on a system I don't currently have. Is that the Wonderswan one? Yep. <clears throat> yeah, that may be... That may be too expensive a goal. Might just be. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. On so, the other hand, if you want me to gripe about some of the other games in the series, yeah, we can, but that's not this particular show. Focus. So do a little bit of research. Um, I guess the Atelier Verona remake is is still being made and isn't released yet because I'm having all kinds of problems finding that one. It was released back in November of last year in Japan, so it may just not be finished with the localization from the rest of the world yet. Yeah. The other two games are on the Vita, for uh, $40 each available through the PSN store. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, there's also some additional costumes you can buy, like the Princess Swimsuit Edition, which I, I think has like a million point two downloads, you know, because everybody wants it. What, what is a princess swimsuit as opposed to a Mushroom Princess swimsuit? swimsuit and Small Straw Hat, $3. Gotta have it. Oh, mushroom princess swimsuit. Yeah. So, uh, it's Princess Peach's hand me down. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like it is. Uh, Which means it's probably neon pink and giggles. For, for, uh, yeah, for whatever, for whatever reason, I had a heck of a time. Like, if I'm at us.playstation.com where I'm logged in, I can usually see, you know, like my buy history and look up store purchases. When I put in, um, uh, let's see, Atelier. Oh, maybe it's coming up now. Oh, there's five pages. That's what I didn't see. Good grief. Yeah, just just go to your Vita. It's much easier to find on there. Atelier Maru Plus and Atelier, Atelier uh, Totary Plus. Uh, the Apprentice and the Adventurer Arland are $40 each. So here's the, here's the million-dollar question, boys and girls. Now that we've discussed the entire trilogy, uh, while I'm looking up... Uh, the PS3 disc prices, but let's just say somebody just has a Vita, and we do have a number of listeners who favor playing these things on the handheld. Is it worth $40 a pop? If they haven't played the games before, I would say yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, they're, they're both really good quality games, with lots and lots of gameplay, and modern aesthetics. There's no reason why you wouldn't pay 40 bucks for them. Yeah. It costs $60 originally. I, and I think that's what I paid for. Uh, let's see. On the PlayStation 3, I don't know. These were PlayStation 3 games, right? You can't say it. Can you spell it? You know, why Why am I having such a problem finding this? Here we go. Atelier Totori is $25 uh, for a used copy. Uh, Atelier, I do no. We're not talking about Aisha, right? That's the next one. 
No, that's next strategy. That's next one. Uh, Rorona is, uh, I've got a copy here for $16, but most of them are 30 plus. There's one copy up there. So eh, kind of, kind of just uh, they they are. Uh, it looks like they're a little bit of a limited supply. So your you, you know your 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 mileage is going to vary on used games on this one. If you can get the right deal at the right time, you can probably get them for around twenty. Otherwise, you're looking at thirty used on the PlayStation Three. So. Well, right. These are somewhat more recent than many of the games we talked about. Maybe their prices have plenty of ch- time to fluctuate. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, I don't. I don't know if used physical copies will go down too too long. Um, will go down. Sorry, go down too too much because they were pretty, you know, limited print runs. Hmm. Okay, so go out there and get your Telier. If you got the if you got a Vita, I would recommend the Vita version, um, being that they are uh, uh, first of all, Vita is just a very beautiful screen. Um, they're slightly slower burning games. It sounds like, right? I mean, this isn't like an action RPG where you're at the edge of your seat, and and for me that that works best on handhelds. Like slower, slightly slower RPGs, turn-based RPGs for me, anyways. Uh, works better on handheld because when I'm on the TV, you know, I want something that's really going to suck me in and keep me glued. Whereas on my handheld, I like to play my turn-based RPGs because I'm watching TV or I'm walking around or I don't know. These these are more sort of one more turn kind of games um, where it's like, oh, I could stop playing, but I've got, you know, you've always got a goal right in front of you. Um, they're sort of and and because item creation is such a big part of the games, um, it's not necessarily a good game to play while you're watching TV because you kind of have to keep track of what you're doing. But uh, but is it is it like turn? It's not. Is it it's a turn based or is it like the clock is always going? Because you mentioned the clock mechanic and the daytime mechanic before. Oh, no, no. Or is it like? Yeah, no, that's that's it's all turn based. Um, time passes every time you perform an action. Perform an action, yeah. So you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna synthesize something in alchemy, it takes X amount of time, and it tells you walking from one place to another takes X amount of time. Gathering items takes X amount of time. Yeah, that sort of thing. All right. Well, either way, you got two different ways to play this, so it sounds like it's worth it. Either way, you can get the uh, PlayStation Three versions for definitely less than what I, I paid for them retail because I got them when they come out worrying about supply issues. Um, or uh, get them on your Vita for about forty bucks. Either way, it sounds like you'd be happy happy with your purchase we're gonna take a brief brief break here and we'll be right back
We've returned, and we're ready to do our Blast from the Recent Past segment. This is the part of the show where we talk about games that came about two years ago. Uh, they might be sitting in your backlog, or maybe you passed them the first time. We tell you whether or not it's worth going back and buying them, or taking them off your backlog and playing them. And the two we have today are actually some doozies. First up, real quick, Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, developed by Monolith Soft, published by Nintendo. This was uh, released on the Wii uh, back in... April of 2012, two years ago. This is a single-player action RPG, and to tell us about it is Miss Bucky Cunningham, who's actually played it. My story with this real fast is I just, Becky, well, first, Becky, why don't you tell us the story of how Xenoblade came to the Wii real quick. All right, Xenoblade Chronicles is one of my favorite RPGs. Um... It is the story of a young guy named Shulk who lives in a really unique planet. Um, everybody lives um, on this giant titan that um, once roamed the Earth and has now is now dormant. Um, and so, like, their whole world is the various body parts of this titan. Um, and Shulk lives in a small village. Um, and it turns out it's not just one titan, there's two titans. And Shulk lives on the Bionis, um, which is the biological one. And then there's also the Mechanis, I think it's Mechanis, some sort of version of that. Um, and the two were um, locked in conflict, and that's why they're dormant. Um, and all the Mechons from the Mechanis appear to be in... Um, appear to be invading Shulk's world and it's the story of Shulk and his friends on an epic journey full of many twists and turns um, to try to save um, the Bionis from being taken over by the Mechons and then um, discovering the true nature of the relationship between the Bionis and the Mechanist and who the heck Shulk actually is and all that good JRPG stuff that you love so much um, it's kind of an open world um, game with some MMO sort of elements to it. Um, it's a huge game, and one of the big features of it is this um, sort of wide open world with some really gorgeous environments, and you see all the monsters in the world sort of roaming around freely. Um, the game itself, if you just do the main story, it's still an extremely long game. If you want to do all of the side quest material, which it's not always necessarily the most interesting stuff in the world, but there's a few interesting stories mixed into the side quests, um, it'll take you upwards of 100 hours. <laughs> um, a lot of people have played it for close to 200 yet I've hours heard if they were trying to be completionist it's... about it. Sorry? And yet I've heard that even if you do it, pretty much everything, you won't regret one bit of it. Right. It really depends on who you are. Um, if you are mostly into games for the stories, um, I would just go through the main story mostly. It's also going to be more challenging that way. Um, you can make the game too easy for yourself by doing all of the side quests because you'll gain a lot of experience and the monsters won't be as difficult. Although I found when I was playing that there's various catch-up points in which all of a sudden everything's pretty powerful anyway, so... Um, but I know some people who are really, really, really completionist and did a lot of exploring and grinding um, ended up making like the whole darn game too easy for themselves. Um, but the, the nice thing is the optional stuff, it really is optional. Um, you don't need to do it. Um, so I recommend for people, you know, if you're getting bored of the optional stuff, just don't do it. Just do the story. Um, you can do it that way. But if you're a completionist and you really love doing fetch quests and there's a relationship board, you can improve your relationship with everybody in the different towns you come across if you want to do that. I was addicted to the relationship board, so I did a lot of the side stuff. Um, 
you can do it that way too. It's really absolutely up to you. Um, the story is is pretty cool. Um, it's it's sort of traditional Xeno weirdness. Um, I think the best part of the game is the cast. Um, the, the cast is, is really strong. Um, and one of the main themes in the game is the relationship between the characters and how it builds and how they become a really great team and learn to trust and care for each other a lot. Um, and that's done really, really well in the game. Um, so the characters are really good. Um, I know the game is a little bit controversial among the RP gamer staff, although we did have one... Xenoblade Chronicles naysayer Mr. Final Max Storm who is now a Xenoblade believer after going back and giving the game a second chance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he said that it was just his being able to control a different character who made the game feel yeah. much better for him. Yeah, he didn't really like controlling Shulk and unfortunately start out controlling Shulk and Shulk is not the most interesting character to control in battle. Um, the battle system is really cool. It's um, so it's 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 action RPG and you're carry you you control one character and then there's two other party members with you at any given time. The AI is actually pretty good, so it's generally not frustrating that you're only controlling one of the three characters, with the exception that there's one character, Melia, that the AI cannot control properly to save its life. So if you want to play with Melia in your party, you want to control her. Um, but otherwise, it's pretty good at most of the characters um, at controlling uh- them. On our forums lately, there's been some comparisons between Final Fantasy XII system and Xenoblade. Is that justified at all? Uh, I do not find them to be very similar at all. Um, Xenoblade's system is um, not about... like Final Fantasy's system is kind of like the characters sort of auto-do the traditional Final Fantasy attacks. Um, Xenoblade is more... Um, it's more like an MMO in that you have sort of combos that you want to string together when you're fighting um, in order to do various um, debilitating things to your enemies. Um, and you're always, like, you don't have any gambits or anything does anything for you. You have to choose all the attacks that you do. Um, and you want to do them at the right time and in the right order and work with the attacks the other characters are doing in order to hurt your enemies. So for me, I found it was more strategic and more in the moment and you have to react more to enemy attacks in Final Fantasy XII you can't really do anything about the enemy attacks um, you know they just happen and you have to heal them um, in this game there are many things you can do to interrupt and stop your enemies and one of the main battle components is actually that Shulk's magical sword the Monado can predict certain things the enemies are going to do and then you can stop them from doing them in various ways before they do them so I actually didn't find that the two games played much at all like each other. And um, The only thing is similar about them is that there are some ways in which they were inspired by MMOs. But I think they were inspired by MMOs in different ways. Okay. So, well, that's that, my opinion. What you described reminded me of bits of Grandia right there, and that's not a bad thing, being able to interrupt enemy attacks. So um, it's just a different. It's a different way of doing it. You have you'll usually you have sort of a chain. There's you stun the enemy, and then if the enemy's stunned, then you can do a knockdown attack. And if you do that, you can do a stagger attack that keeps them knocked down. And if you can, and um, you get when you do your like um, special ultimate attack, you can chain attacks together for a while. And if you have good reflexes, you can keep that going for a while. Um, so that's sort of the pattern that you get into. And different characters have different ways of doing those things too. So. Okay, and uh, the reviews back you up an average of ninety-two on Metacritic. Uh, your go-to place, of course, for 
all gaming scores. Uh, now, this one, uh, you know... The, uh, I this, understand we have a couple of reviews of this game on our own site, Phil. Yeah, we gave it a 5 out of 5. So, um... So on this this game was one of the ones the one of the one of the three right that almost didn't make it to America. Operation yes, Rainfall. Operation the Operation Rainfall game. So uh, as a result of uh, of that, and you can Google that. Uh, we won't take up uh, too much time here as it is getting late. Uh, but you can Google Operation Rainfall. Maybe we'll talk about it in the final lap. But anywho, as a result, there isn't a whole lot of Xenoblade Chronicles out there. Uh, you can get that. Use the lowest price I'm finding is sixty two dollars. Uh, brand new in the shrink wrap is going for a hundred and twenty plus plus. So the the thing the thing with Xenoblade Chronicles, if you want to get Xenoblade Chronicles, um, GameStop has done some reprints of it, mm. um, and then uh, um, basically what happened was here it was only put out by Nintendo and available or available at GameStop, so they took advantage of their little monopoly. But they did manage to get a second reprint that got, that went out to GameStop. I don't think you can get it from Nintendo anymore. Um, and then they promptly took advantage of it by charging a lot more money for it than it used to be worth. Ah, <laughs> uh, and uh, but, let's see. Um, if, I, if you want to try to find it, I would suggest trying to find it at a GameStop Games. somewhere and not trying to buy it from the scalpers online. <laughs> yeah, if they are showing uh, Xenoblade Chronicles GameStop exclusive is $50. But you can't get online. You'll have to actually check to see uh, if you have stock in your area. According to their website, there's a number of stores within about five miles of my house that do have it in stock. So you can probably find it for $50 if you're in a uh, decent an area that has a decent number of GameStops around. I'm sure one of them has it. Uh, And and if you're in Canada, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, yeah. (laughs) It's it's just like... Uh, I well, know our, our own Scott Wakamatur, as Phil likes to call him, um, <laughs> took a, a great went to a great deal of time and effort to find an affordable copy for um, for Sam recently. Now, uh, on the uh, other end of the spectrum, at least from an affordability standpoint, we have The Witcher Two: Assassin. <laughs> Assassins, Assassins of uh, Kings. This was uh, developed by CD Project Red, uh, published by Atari Incorporated. Uh, this was uh, released. I got the PC version myself. Uh, geez, about two years ago, May May seventeenth, twenty eleven. I guess. Uh, I, I guess. Uh, hmm. Well, maybe it's the maybe it came up on the blast from the recent past because it's two years. Oh, two years ago on the Xbox. Anywho, um, so this is more of a an action ERPG, isn't it, Becky? Slightly, at least how the combat handles. Yeah, I guess I don't pay much attention to the combat in the Witcher series. Yeah, no. Put the games on easy and enjoy the story. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little, a little bit real fast about the uh, Witcher Two and what makes it so awesome. Well, um, Geralt is a Witcher, a mutant who hunts monsters in a world. Um, it's a uh, low RPG, dark RPG, modern, or what should we call it, mature RPG world in which basically everybody is a rat bastard. Um, the main sort of theme behind the Witcher series is that girl is a monster hunter, but man is the real monster. Um, and in this game, he ends up um, getting sort of... Wait, this was made in Poland, right? Could yes. there be any subtext here? I have no idea what you're talking about, sir. <laughs> Perhaps it's best. 
It's an RPG backtrack, I'm, not I'm, the politics I'm, and history backtrack. Keep going. I'm being facetious. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, the, the, the Witcher series is actually based on a series of um, very famous Polish fantasy novels. Um, a couple of which have been translated into English, and I recommend them. They're pretty cool. Um, but anyway... So Geralt sort of gets himself dragged kicking and streaming into the middle of a um, political, social situation in which there is a um, another witcher um, who is running around assassinating kings. And naturally, the kings are not real pleased with this. Um, and uh, what's interesting about this game, I've always thought the main, um, the main appeal of the Witcher series is the choices and consequences um, stuff. You make a lot of choices in the game, and you may not know what the consequence of the choice is going to be until a fair bit later. Um, there's, not, there's not really a um, morality system like there are in the Bioware games. There's just Geralt has to make the best decision he can make at the time. Um, and so it's up to you as a player to decide, okay, you know, um, one of the biggest choices in the game is whether you want to side sort of with the humans or with the elves. Um, there's a lot of, um, as in many fantasy, low fantasy games, there's a lot of anti-elf racism going on. Um, and, of course, this being a world in which everybody's a rat bastard, um, sometimes the elves deserve it. Um, <laughs> but so is not really a choice of good versus evil. It's sort of a choice of who do you want to go with. Um, and in this game, there's, there's three acts, and the, the middle act um, is actually completely entirely different depending on whether you side with the humans or the elves, which I don't think any other RPG has ever done a game with that much diversion in the plot line before. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, and it's... Um, yeah, it's it's just it's a really good game, and it um, it's sort of it's I think it's a little more true to the spirit of the books than the first game was. The first game had sort of a juvenile sort of sex card collecting game that wasn't really like quite the way that Geralt was portrayed in the books. Um, this is this is more um, like it. The the emphasis on sex is toned down, even though there's lots of sexy bits. Um, but it's it's a little bit more natural and a little bit more actual mature take on it, um, and also a more mature take on a lot of the characters. Um, it also has sort of more powerful um, female characters in it, um, but it also doesn't put them on a pedestal because quite a few of them are rap bastards too, which I think is kind of sort of the way you would want to do it in low fantasy. Um, well, that's but that's yeah, good to hear because yeah, you're right. In in the first Witcher, I, I like and I've talked about it before, but I like the fact that it was kind of low fantasy and the characters and the races and everything felt so down to earth, felt so relatable. But you're mm -hmm. right, the ladies in that game, for the most part, yeah, they're just like token things to collect cards on and whatnot. So it's nice to hear that they're yeah. a little bit more realistic. Yeah, for a low and, fantasy and, and, like, setting. You know, not not every woman in the game immediately wants to fall at the witcher's feet yeah. and have a good time in the bedroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> only most of them. <laughs> well, it depends. There's actually you can get through the game pretty easily without encountering without having too many sexual. Hmm. Okay. F uh, fair enough. Uh, did we lose Becky there? Oh, she wasn't kidding when she said she turned to a pumpkin at midnight. Well, uh... As, okay. As, Wait, can you hear me? Can oh, there she is. Oh, she came back. I, I think I accidentally pulled a cable loose. She was so excited about The Witcher 2 <laughs> <laughs> that the cable just came I flying loose. I was talking loose. about sexy times and I got too excited. There you go. You're ready to throw yourself at Geralt's feet. 
just a fictional <laughs> character, Becky. He's just fictional. <laughs> he's not really my type. Uh. <laughs> But he's apparently the type of many ladies around the land. But yeah, no, the series is slowly transforming more into a um, uh, something that explores his more lasting relationships with particular women, um, rather than you know going out and having sex with everybody. But I mean, you can still be a manho if you really want to be. But you don't. It's 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 less in your face in this game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, it's it's. Just a, a really good game to play through. The combat system um, is better now than it was at launch. <laughs> That's one of the things I can say for it. They, um, they re- they've released a, a few patches that have. Um, they, they've had to do an enhanced edition of the second one as well. Yes, but it was not. It didn't need as much enhancing as the first game did. Okay. Yeah, the first one really needed some enhancing. Yeah, the first one. Well, the the um, translation needs some enhancing. In this game, the translation needed no enhancing quite good from the beginning, so that was mm-hmm. good. Um, and uh, it's gorgeous. Uh, they've got some sort of crazy graphical technical wizards over there at um, CD Projekt that not only made a gorgeous PC version, but made an Xbox 360 and PS3 version that looks almost as good as the PC version. I have no idea how they did that, um, but it's pretty impressive. Mm. Uh, they've, they've done some crazy technical wizardry there. Well, um, this one's a bit more affordable, at least if you're grabbing the PC version. I'm sure any version's probably not too expensive, but the, the PC version is the one I prefer. Uh, you can get that uh, from GOG for $20 or wait for a sale and probably get it for half that price, if not less. The, uh, the really cool thing about the GOG version, of course, is that it's DRM-free, and it has uh, lots of additional uh, content. So you'll want to check that all out at GOG.com. I believe it's also available on Steam, as well as the Xbox. And I believe the PlayStation... Did the PlayStation ever get that? Yeah, I think it was on PlayStation. I wanted to confirm that it is available on Steam, because I have seen it on there. But when I went to the store just now, Steam gave me a... Oops, sorry! An error was encountered while processing your request! Uh, let's well, see. No, it didn't come out on the PlayStation, just the Xbox 360, no, the it Xbox. looks like. Okay. Yeah, and it's not unusual for things to disappear off of Steam. Um, I've seen that happen before. And I've, I've, I've said... Uh, I've, uh, one thing I'll... Ugh, gosh, let me start over. One thing I've said before, and I'll say it again. If you see something on a Steam sale that you think you're going to like, you might want to grab it, because we've seen things disappear from Steam. There's a number of games that are in my... Uh, Steam catalog, and sometimes I'll want to go to the game page to to see comments or whatever, or the system requirements, and there's no more game page because it's no longer for sale. So, of course, that's we talked about how that happened earlier with Fallout. To uh, Fallout, yes. yeah, that's that's happened with Fallout, but and Fallout got a lot well, of. Well, co- that happened with Fallout because the Fallout license is a cluster frick. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's happened to some other mm. games as well for whatever reason. So, uh, no, no, I, I see him. I see both Witchers on Steam now. Well, you found them. Yeah. The Witcher would come back. They would go off Steam because uh. CD Projekt has a pretty good uh, relationship with Steam. But yeah, the, the 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 main place to get The Witcher Two would be on GOG.com because GOG is owned by CD Projekt, which happens to be the people who also developed The Witcher series. So I would, you know, unless you must access it from your Steam library, just get it on GOG. It's cheaper and DRM free. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for hanging on a little bit extra to take us through those two excellent games, Miss Becky. And uh, we'll take another break and come back to wrap this up with the final lap.
And welcome back to our last and final segment, The Final Lap. Uh, this is where we just kind of read your comments, answer your questions, tell you what's going on in our lives. kind of the kitchen sink part of the podcast. And uh, Becky's pointed out to me that uh, that I neglected to give her a little bit more floor time there towards the end. She wanted to say something about the Atelier series before we ran uh, ran off. So what, what did you want to say to our audience? Well, I just wanted to say that... Um the Atelier series, I, I personally think it does not get nearly as much attention as it should. Um, it's a really strong, um, high-quality series of games um, that uh, has a combat system that's getting more interesting over time, um, has good stories, uh, really strong class of characters. Um, and the if you've only played, like, say, Rorona, and you thought there was a little too much of the item creation, um, it's, it's not necessarily as huge a chunk of the game as um, it was in that one, or at least it's less tedious um, in the later areas. So I would say go back, give it a second look. If you hadn't, if you've never tried the games, didn't try one of the Gus games, you really should. Um, it's also a series of games that is actually, um, despite like minor innuendo here and there, which is really not a big deal in the games, um, it's actually a really good series for teenage girls. Um, it's, it's made with teenage girls in mind in Japan. Um, that's I, actually one of the reasons for the the kind of cutesy character outfits the the characters have, but it's it's got um, a really sort of positive take on female characters, um, and it, it's it's about them sort of fulfilling their dreams and their goals in a way that you don't often see in a lot of games from either Japan or the West, and I think that's really pretty cool. I was going to say in Japan, occasionally I'll see like displays based around good games to recommend towards um, girls, and Gust is always there, always present, mm-hmm. in like over half of the display. So it, it's very much... I mean, Gust has done a very good job of carving its own sub-genre out of mm-hmm. the industry and holding it very strongly. Yeah. And it has so, a lot of... Um, it has a, a nice variety of female characters in it, too. It yeah. has characters that are heroic, but very traditionally feminine. It has characters who are less traditionally feminine, or completely not feminine at all, um, and, and they're all powerful in their own way, and I think that's really cool. You don't see that a lot in gaming. Yeah. So, yeah, so even though they have probably six, um, 15 or 16 different heroines at this point, actually 17, because the next one's got double heroines, um, <laughs> they just none of them are really the same kind of character. I mean, they're all very, very different from each other. I mean, you're talking about how, like, Meruru is the princess. She's, I mean, there have only been two princesses in the entire series for yeah. main characters. And, and Totoray, Lou, for, so, for something is... with teenage girls in mind, that's actually rather impressive. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like, Totori is shy and doesn't have a lot of self-confidence, has to build it up. Meruru is super perky and really wants to go for it and kind of has attitude. You can see those sort of those very big differences between the characters. Yep. Hmm. And it's also it's it's nice to sometimes just play a game where you are not expected to save the entire planet, galaxy, universe from <laughs> the soul-sucking space flea from beyond the fifth dimension. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's it's nice because you know a lot of JRPGs. I think when they they they, they go, they've got the mid boss, and then they've got the final boss, and then you have to come up with some really weird freaking story so you can have the final, final, final boss. And they, they, with the multiple forms, 
Yes, with multiple cards. The Teller games don't have this problem. The most powerful things in the game aren't even required to be beaten in order to finish the game. But, you know, the powerful things are like dragons, you know, and like normal stuff. Well, it depends, because like the Dusk games definitely have final bosses, but they're like the only ones in the series that have yeah. final bosses that you could actually quantify as a final boss. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Tatori comes close with the demon in the tower, but yeah. I but think you, Tatori... you don't likes... actually have to beat it. <laughs> yeah. But you want to, because seriously. Oh, yes. <laughs> but you want to. Because yeah. then you're... Then you're... Then you're uh, helping... You're, you're accomplishing the cause that your mother died for. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, you know, keeping a whole bunch of people from being fed to a demon. <laughs> yeah, that's always nice. Again, I, I'm thinking of Dragon Slayer. I can't explain it. But but you're right. The, these games, uh, they don't really get a lot of press coverage and the such. Uh, the only reason I've even heard about them is because you you know you and I've had a, a couple of discussions in the past, or I've saw the coverage that you or other people did at RP Gamer, and um, and, I, and I think our own Sam Marcello is one of the most. Yeah, Sam. High, yeah. high profile fans of this series that we can vociferous. come up with. The word that you want is vociferous. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. Whereas, whereas I have played these games once each, she has seen all the endings for at least Rorona um, and Totori. She doesn't like Miru as much, um, but I know she's done at least the first two. So, yeah, it's... Um... You know, it's one of the reasons why I love being a, a part of RP Gamer because you know we have such thorough RPG um, RPG coverage from people who love you know RPGs inside and out. So you get to hear about things like this and so much more. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um. All right. Anything else? That was my spiel. The spiel was awesome. I'm glad you did it. Um. Yeah. Well, on my part, just one last note is. When you um, when you look at the game industry, it's really hard to find series that are regularly updating with a regular level of quality. And then there's Gus in Atelier, and as I said, sixteen iterations so far in about sixteen years. And so um, we we can say what we want, what we like about whether or not the style's for us or whether or not we think what we think about this or about that, but Gust is probably about as determined as any of its heroines when it comes to just producing stuff. <laughs> um, What's nice about it is that they they keep improving and um, especially over yeah. the modern games, you know, it's Yeah. Um, there's there's always changes made between the games and different ways to do things and um even if it goes back to some older systems, they always find ways to improve on stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminds, me... kind of reminds me of the discussion we had not too long ago about the Disgaea series. Mm. Similar pattern. They do. They know what they do. They're focused on that. That's that segment of the population that enjoys that type of games that they make, and they've taken that formula and just, you know, gleaned it keep, to you know, keep gle- refining it. Keep refining it. Thank you. The um. And and I've often says as I wish you know Final Fantasy had done that they did that kind of with the action based system but then they start hopping to other systems and and some of them was like oh this is a good but it needs to be refined and then they'd hop to another system and reinvent the wheel but here you know with these series you're seeing yeah they take that same system and they just keep refining it so 
Um, sounds super awesome. Okay. Well, uh, let's see here. Let's, let's read some uh, comments. Uh, so uh, you can leave your comments for us at board.rpgamer.com. Ask your questions. Share your thoughts about these and other games right there on the forums. There's some other ways to share it. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, looking at our forum threads, uh, let's see here. It looks like a uh, goatee guy. Goatee guy, is that how we say it, uh, Mike? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be goatee guy, but he just misspelled it and whatever. That The discussion we had about how to properly pronounce it with that spelling made it more memorable. Hmm. So he says a note about the discussion at the end of the prior episode where we had a chit-chat about increasing and decreasing the, the encounter rate. He says, I know you were given... Uh, giving DQ8, uh, Dragon Quest 8, and Shin Megami Tensei as an example off the top of your heads. Uh, but I'd like to make a callback to Legea episode, where at least in the first game of the series, they also have items that you can use and equip that provide the same function. The function that in, in question being the ability to increase or decrease the encounter rate. I felt that in, uh, we were talking about how in um, Bravely Default, there's a slider, which is receiving a ton of praise. Like, oh, wow, we've, we got this thing that, you know, we got to have random encounters. At least we got a slider where we can kind of control those. And I just, I've been finding myself using that, but more from a meta, it just feels very meta. kind of, you know, in a way, kind of pulls me a little bit out of the experience. I'm going in and turning off random encounters. Oh, low magic points. Let me shut those things down. Whereas in the Dragon Quest games, I mentioned so that they, they had. That option. What's that? I'm still so jealous of you guys for even getting that option. It's just. Right, because it was not in the original Japanese version of the game. No, it was not! <laughs> so that there's a reason why all of my characters in that game nearly maxed out the magic swordsman job very early. Because that was the only way I could reliably hit elemental damage weak points without wasting my entire MP store. But Yeah, the bloody game is so chintzy with the magic points and the magic point recovery items. A thousand, a thousand gold for one ether. Yeah, and it only gives you like forty magic points or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't use mana class as much except for the healer. But now, Baker, even with the slider, I find myself doing the same thing. I'm relying a lot on the, um, the elemental flaming swordsman of death or whatever to do my elemental damage. Yeah. Anywho, seeing the uh, magic absorption sword attack to heal up. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, I'll be spiffy when I get to it. As long as we're talking about mechanics that should be used more often, where's that thing from Earthbound that lets you automatically win over weak enemies? Nobody else has ever used that. Why? Well, actually, well, that one Famicom disc system game I'm playing right now, When once your level is high enough, you can actually step on enemies to kill them. Yeah, and, and you, know what other, you know what other series does that? What? The Atelier series of the Alchemist. Oh, yeah, because you can Once whack... Once they get you can whack, whack them with your staff, and they just die, and you get the stuff they would drop. That only happens if... I mean, that only happens if you whack them in time, though. I mean, Earthbound actually lets you walk straight over the monsters. Right. Earthbound would let you walk over them if you were super powerful. You just... It's as if you beat them, but you didn't have to go through. And, you know, I'd rather see solutions like that. Not that I don't appreciate Bravely Default's uh, decision there, but... Um, I'd rather ha- have that handled in a way that doesn't feel quite as 
you know, pulling me out of the experience meta, uh, an arbitrary slider that I can just crank up or pull down. Uh, having items or something along those lines, or like you said, just run over the enemies and the weak ones die, so you don't feel the pain of random battles quite as much. Um, yeah. Anywho, uh, Silktail um, says uh, Final Fantasy three might give loads of jobs at once, but doesn't space them out throughout the whole game. Did either? Did anybody here play Final Fantasy three? I'm playing five yeah, right now. I, yeah, I did. Does yeah, got jobs um, each time you found one of the big crystals. And in Final Fantasy yeah, Five, yeah, it's the, like the progression in three is almost identical to five, where you you okay. get a crystal, you get a bunch of jobs. And so basically, the, the first, first ones you get with later crystals tend to be better. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So you don't get any ninjas with the first crystal. That would be overkill at that point in the game. Yeah. Um, he says. Uh, so I, I guess somewhere we might have said something a little differently. He says. So you would have to start. You would have to start some of them right before the final dungeon area, or did that change in the remakes? Um, there were two jobs in Final Fantasy III, like Sage and Ninja, that you only got at the very end, Dark Crystals. Mm. So, but they were also yeah. But, but then again, walking just walking through that area gives you plenty of opportunity to pump them up. True, because that area had like the worst encounter rate of the entire game, and it's huge, uh, and there are no the saves. I never finish. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I I, I played I uh, I played an unofficial uh, NES copy uh, way way back in the day, and there was a nice little way that you could sort of hack the encounter rate with using save states and just counting properly. Because every time you brought up a menu, it would reset the counter for monsters. So bring up the menu, save state, take it down, walk until you get an encounter, count steps, and then go back to the previous save state walk the same distance one minus one bring up the menu again and you would reset the counter <laughs> a battle oh jeez yep and so it was annoying but it was less annoying than for example going through that one cave with all the monsters that would magically split every time you hit them with a weapon that did not belong to a specific type I seem to remember that well even on DS, that was interesting because it was it involved a whole lot of hidden paths and blundering around and extra opportunities to get into random fights that are nasty. Yeah. So I never played the 3DS version. I can only imagine that it was probably less painful than the Root Canal that was the original version, but... Yeah. In some ways. But yeah. of course, I'm sure you've heard that the developers felt it necessary to keep to the the purity of the original experience by not letting you save anywhere in the final area. Yep, that's why Oops. I never finished it. Yeah. Oh, jeez. So, so that's, that's a minimum of three hours or so where you just can't die or else game over, you lose all that time. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, if we're going to go with purity of purpose, I'd much rather go with like Saga 2 or Saga 3 where they said, okay, let's just keep all this stuff that was we liked about the original game and Everything else, let's just throw it out. Nobody liked it. Yeah. Let's just reflect that the DS has a lot more capacity than the original Game Boy. Let's use it. Oh, right. yeah. Oh, yeah, but I mean, if you look at Saga 2, the remake, um, a lot of the, the dungeons in there are almost identical to the original game. If you account, or if you compensate for the fact that the original was in monochrome flat 2D and the new ones in very nice 3D. Um, but Saga 3, 
they actually said in an interview that they started the project with the question, okay, what parts can we throw out? And this included the entire battle and character advancement system. Which had, <laughs> which was just a standard gain levels sort of thing in the original, and that is not about, the saga way. It's about as generic as an RPG maker game. <laughs> and in the new, and in the new version, you have um, more interesting ways of breaking up the the uh, character turns. Um, you can use. You can use some time travel flimflammery to bring yourself from the past or the future to add extra attacks. Um, you can chain link combos, and all of your stat increases happen in the middle of battle, depending on what you're using. Hmm. And all and all weapon techniques are learned using the little light bulb over the head trick from later saga games. Mr. Kawazu. You are... You are a savant, I would say. Oh, yeah. I like this one. Um, so. <laughs> and, of yeah, course, it didn't cross the ocean. Of course. So if, if I ever have to make a top ten games that we should have gotten from Japan DS version, Saga 2 and 3 are going to share the number one spot. I think Mr. Apps will applaud your list. Oh, I know he would, because I know he actually has copies of these. Um. Okay. So, uh, uh, let's take a look here. He and, also says, oh, the, also the vampire job is cool. Yeah. He'd argue it's one of the best jobs a physical damage mage who can buff, debuff stats, and use to drain loads of free magic points, too. Which right there might make it worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I... I seem to recall when I investigated the vampire job, I just I just caved. I looked at game facts to see what the hell I was supposed to be doing because otherwise I probably would have needed to, would have been blindsided by a couple of those dragons. And then uh, his castle is actually pretty big, unless you turn down the encounter rate. Anyway, uh, yeah, vampire job. Um, it is kind of a blue mage type job, so be prepared for that. You want the good abilities? Go find them. Hmm. Alrighty. So that was all the comments on there. Uh, let's see, our next show, backtrack number 117, We Can Be Heroes. We're going to be talking about uh, the Legend of Heroes. That would be the trilogy of Legend of Heroes games released across the ocean on the PSP and not given the best of localizations. <laughs> hmm. So look forward to that. Uh, <laughs> uh, yay. Uh, so write your comments on our boards at board.rpgamer.com. So uh, let's do our little round table. What's on your mind? What are you playing? What are you writing about? What are you doing? What do you just want to share and get off your chest? And let's start with Becky. Alrighty, I'll be quick. Uh, mostly lately, I have been playing Disney Magical World. <laughs> oh, I'm, nice. It's, it's actually a really solid little life sim. If you like Animal Crossing and stuff like that, you, uh -huh. you'll like this one. Um, it even it, it has some um, actual like uh, little mini uh, dungeon crawling uh, element to it, too. So it's actually quite fun. Um, 
other than that, I just finished reviewing Demon Gaze, which, if you have a lot of patience and tolerance for plus five unnecessary ridiculous levels of cheesecake, it's a relatively solid dungeon crawler, but it's also fairly skippable. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to Child of Light, which is coming out very soon. And I have a new kitten. Aww. His name is Giles. He's adorable. He's not really a kitten. He's, he's more like a teenager cat, but yeah. Um, did you play Class of Heroes or the second one? The first or second? I attempted to play the first Class of Heroes and found it utterly inaccessible and uninteresting. So would you say that, and I've already forgotten the name of the game you just mentioned. What was Demon it called? Gaze. Demon Gaze. Would you say that that is more accessible or interesting than Classic Heroes? If someone's thinking it's, about Dungeon Crawler on their Vita? It's definitely more accessible. And, um, yeah, it has a pretty good help system. It doesn't teach you how to do everything you need to do, but it's got a good help system, so you can figure it out if you're paying attention. Unfortunately, it has some pacing issues. Um, there's a lot of times when you'll hit a brick wall and have to grind, and the grinding takes a long time. It takes a really long time to level up. So it does have some issues, but um, my spouse is enjoying it more than I did. So mm. it just depends on it depends on your patience level, and again, your willingness to put up with plus five ridiculous levels of stupid juvenile cheesecake. It's all about the cheesecake. It's really juvenile. As I said, like I like The Witcher and having sexy times there, but I do not like giggle giggle characters that look like they're twelve wearing lingerie for no reason. Yeah. Because it's supposed to remind people of uh, Alabama in the sixties. I don't know. That's probably very cruel. I'm sorry. Hmm. So Jer- Jerry Lee Lewis. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's just Japan. Well, he did marry his yeah. 13-year-old cousin. Mr. Uh, Mr. Baker? Yes? Well, you have anything for the group before you head out? Um, well, I just picked up um, the second Maple Story single-player game, which has been kind of fun. Maple Story single... I've heard of that, because I think we talked about the first one. Uh, one of it's our... so odd that that game would not come from Canada with, with a title like Maple Story, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> you wonder, yeah. Uh, that that made me hurt, Minky. Really? Really, <laughs> if buddy? From, if Phil... it came from Canada, it would be about the infamous maple syrup heist of 2013. <laughs> there was one. Wow. That's right, that sounds right up there with the great sorghum molasses flood of Boston in the early 20th century. <laughs> Yeah, so but yeah, it's it's pretty fun so far. I mean, it's cute. It's I think that kind of goes without saying with this series. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm still trying to figure it out. It doesn't seem to have the really interesting story structure that the first game had. Mm-hmm. Um, because the first the first game had a four part intersecting sto- um, plot line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And this one has um, Kung Fu Pandas. <laughs> Kung Fu Pandas. Well, yes. you can hardly go wrong with that. Wild Wilds thought they were awesome. Yep. So, um, and yeah, I, I played I, I played what they were calling the demo back at Tokyo Game Show in September. 
except that um, at the demo, I actually managed to get almost two-thirds of the way through the game's second chapter before I looked at the wa- my watch and realized, hey, I have to go to that big um, Nippon Ichi meeting in 20 minutes. Okay, gotta run. So. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, this is also the game that I made Mac um, laugh over when I told him that, yeah, today I, I played a couple demos, uh, I played Deep Down, and then I played Maple Story, and I can tell you which one was better. <laughs> and, yeah, he just had to laugh at that one because, you know, Deep Down, the PlayStation 4 title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With very underwhelming demo at TGS. Say. <laughs> Yeah, I, w- I waited for 15 minutes in line, played the game for all of five minutes. It was like, okay, controls are awful. It looks, I mean, the walls look like mud. You got these weird bugbear things. Okay, ho hum. Looks like it was ran- looks like it was randomly assembled. The dungeon was. Then I walked Welcome off. Welcome to and- the next generation. Yep. And then I walked off in like one corner of Sega's lone. Um, loan it out to other companies pavilion. I found Maple Story with no lines and since there was nobody I mean literally no lines for the entire time I was there, they didn't mind that I sat I stood there for thirty five minutes playing this game. Nice. <laughs> Jeez. So it's like, yeah, this is definitely not a demo I'm playing right here. This is probably the like finished or almost finished Japanese version, so I was kind of annoyed that it took them another six months to get actually get it published in this country. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there's a reason that we'll never hear about because it's buried in the corporate halls of somewhere. Yeah, I, think they, I think they just tried to time it to make it one year after the South Korean release. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, could be. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's cute. It's fun. Um, I'm currently. It's better than Deep Down. Much better. What a what a, what a selling point that is. <laughs> no, it's like literally the only thing I know about Deep Down is you can't play a female character. PlayStation Four development right now. Um. So. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was one of well, the two. Well, these things happen with launch RPGs. Questions I had of a game at all TGS last year. So. Hmm. That's unfortunate. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. After spending all that time just to get there. Yeah. But the two games I really did like from TGS are both turning out to be really fun. Speaking of which, I get to play the the other one next week. (laughs) So, I'm looking forward to that, too. Much luck. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Crypt of the Necrodancer is having its alpha release next week. For everybody who pre-ordered in time. Cool. Well, that's not me, so I'm I'm left out. Oh yeah. But have you heard of that one? I edited your impression of it. Yeah, I was asking the other guys. But, yeah. Uh, it's not ringing a bell yet. Um, this is the beat rhythm roguelike. Oh, I remember that one now. Yeah. It was oh, really okay. fun. That one was very fun to play at TGS, and that was just the pre-alpha version with four levels. Hmm. Not to keep an eye I, open. 
I'll keep an eye on what other people have to say. My reactions to roguelikes in the past have not been pleasant. Um, well, what do you normally have? Um, what problems do you normally have with them? Oh, let's see. There's just something about. I don't know. Maybe if I went back to one now and tried it now that I have a better grasp on exactly how things work in a roguelike, I might handle it better. But something about being beaten into a pulp just caused me to fly into an uncontrollable rage. And that was when I was playing Waka Waka Puyo Puyo Dungeon, which <laughs> I know that that's startling that I would have it from that series of all things, but it did. It really did not make me happy at all. Yeah, well, um, so far, I mean, just from everything I've seen and personally played, Necrodancer was, I mean, part of the point is that a lot of the more traditional, quote-unquote, um, roguelikes out there are just plain mean. And so this one is supposed to be balanced to be challenging, and that there's also different um, methods of getting permanent uh, boosts. Um, at least there were in the first build I played, and I think that's, I'm assuming it's still true, just where you, you pick up, like, diamonds like, um, over the course of play by beating mini-bosses or just finding them in chests, and the diamonds are the only thing that actually carries over whenever you die and get sent back to the central hub, and you can use the diamonds to buy permanent health upgrades or um, upgrades to what the shopkeepers in the dungeons will sell to you. So there, um, it is possible to have a regular pro- uh, meta progression in the game. Well, that that might help. Uh... That and um, said the entire thing is set to music. the The track, whatever track is set for the level for that one particular stage of the level, is also bit, effectively the time limit for that level. So you have to make it to the exit before the music ends except for boss battles, which are on infinite repeat loop. And supposedly, you're also going to be able to plug in your own MP3s, if you want. I'll have to see how that turns out. Yeah, that, I might not use that if the in-game music is worth hearing. Well, it's, it's very good. But, um, like, I talked to one of the developers, and he said that the first actual first song or first bit of music that they used when testing out the, the beat rhythm portion of the engine was Thriller. Which apparently worked quite well. So. Complete with Vincent Price narration? I, I'm i not sure. I, I forgot to ask that. Okay. Oh. Anyway, one o'clock over here. I need to get going. <laughs> Got a class in two hours and a bit of a ways to walk. So, Well, thank you, Mr. Baker. You are an atelier aficionado. It was yep. good to have you here. Yeah. May your day be good one of these for the rest of the series sometime. So. I think that will happen, just not quite yet. Yeah. yeah. Look, looking at the list, it looks like I'm probably not going to be on Backtrack again for the next year, because nope. I haven't played anything else on this list. Well, if, um... You know, that, if... Can al- that can always be rearranged if there's a strong request. And, so, uh... 
and feel free if you if you play like a retro game and you just want to chat about it if you want me to do a one-on-one with you to get it on the show you know especially some of these games that we've covered like in previous backtracks we're not you know like maybe on backtrack 40 or 50 there's a number of games we don't plan on revisiting you know again but maybe you just played it and you want to get your opinion you know on there be happy to do that with you mr baker or maybe just a miscellaneous backtrack sometime there's, there's a, there's a lot of little PlayStation games that are, I mean, like I, like at the beginning of the month I finished um, Guardians Crusade, which half, half the audience has never heard of, and they're just, it's just a cute little game. Yes, I, I seem to remember that you reviewed that partially because the only review on our site was from He Who Shall Not Be Named, and was, uh, as his usual writing style would lend one to assume. It was, yeah, it was a pretty awful review. It spent more time discussing why other games were better than this one because they took this similar aspect and did it better, in his opinion. And this went so far as to discussing the merits of the fairy companion character in Guardian Crusade versus Navi from Ocarina of Time. Ah, yes, that makes perfect sense. They have so much to do with each other. Yep. They're both fairies. They both... They do, both do more talking than the protagonist. More talking than Link? Never happens. Anyway, uh, yeah, you you probably need to get going, so... Uh, yes, uh, okay. Be well. Okay, talk to you later, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey. Mr. Minky. Oh, dearie, dearie. Well, let's see here. You know, I put up a review for Ark the Lad 2 a couple days ago. <laughs> there was and... some very interesting insight, you know, on the forums. Yes, apparently I have crushed people's dreams and slaughtered their sacred cows by not giving this an extremely high rating. Uh, in which I, case... I thought you were also an awful person for rating it too high. I was about to say, yeah. For rating it what? Reading it too high. Oh, oh. Well, yes, I was that. I was that. Let's see. Harley by liking the game but not loving it. Harley Harley Raver created a sign on just so he could post. If one more idiot overrates this piece of crap, I'm going to beep scream. Apparently, people love to pretend it's a lot better than it actually beeping is. I, I love stirring up people to that degree. It, he, he felt the need to create an account just to say that on our site. Well, just that, that was I feel awesome. so special now. <laughs> Look at the discourse that I have helped to create in the gaming world. <laughs> I, I, uh, I like, um, I, I forget who Jay Mustang is. Is that John? Stringer. Yeah, that's Mr. Stringer. Stringer. Uh, he says, uh, in response to Harley, he says, excellent and well-thought-out post. You really back up your claims. And Scott says, but tell us how you really feel. <laughs> uh, Sometimes that is just the appropriate response. Uh, Nefario Call says, I enjoyed it. The one thing that's dogged my mind lately is how games released over 10 years ago look better than games released today. Uh, you know, Nefario, I think I talked about Ark the Lad on the backtrack way back ago because I was playing it while we were on our little anniversary vacation getaway. And, uh, yeah, I admired the, you know, how animated and how well crafted the 2D, uh, sprites are. 
And I've mentioned before that uh, you don't play my, I generally don't like PlayStation One graphics because I felt like they jumped to 3D way too soon. Well, that, uh, and this they game takes stuck, care of that. Because yeah, this it looks game like does. A Super Nintendo game. It does. It's a very pretty Super Nintendo looking game. Although so. some, some of the sprite animations are amazingly complex in Ark the Lad. Yeah. Uh, I will have much more to say about this when we do an Ark the Lad show in the not too distant future. But I'll just get a, a really cool sprite critical out of the way right now. Shante, when you give her a shoe as her weapon and she does a critical. She will leap in the air a couple of times, kick whatever it is in the head multiple times, then land on the ground, take off her shoe, and clunk the thing in the head one more time. That's a lot of, it, of detail for a sprite. Hmm. So... Plus she's, the, plus she's the only character who natively knows the resurrection spell, which makes her awesome. And that comes in handy. Damn straight. Cheating death, always useful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, again, we, we will be doing that episode in the not-too-distant future, and I will have much to say about a certain final battle of Arc Lad 2 in which Shantae was the key. Without her, it would have been failure. Yeah. Watcher says, I played through Valkyrie Profile on my PS3 recently, as aged remarkably well. Polygon graphics, on the other hand, were ugly back then or even worse on modern TVs. It's definitely true if you play a PlayStation 1 or 2 game, especially using, let's say, a PlayStation 2 console. And I, I, I think I might have told the story way back in the day, but uh, when, my, when my CRT television broke... Uh, and I went out and and the only thing they had then was you know suddenly it's all HD TV so I bought an HD TV and plugged in my PlayStation two and I was playing Final Fantasy twelve at the time and Final Fantasy twelve has some pretty decent you know for a PlayStation two game textures and the such but I honestly thought my TV was broken because it looks so damn pixelated on an HD television um, turns out that that's just you know that's just how you know how it actually looks with it with the, that the normal TV. The old TVs, I should say, provided a uh, kind of an a- anti-aliasing effect. So eventually, I got uh, the PlayStation Three, uh, the backwards compatible one, which does have uh, an anti-alias mode, and I was able to play uh, Final Fantasy Twelve without gouging my eyes out. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it is kind of, kind of true. But with that being said, I mean, I think some of the comments, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. 2D graphics from the Super Nintendo or, or early PlayStation era were just so good that they totally surpass any and all PlayStation, let's say three or four graphics. Because nowadays, the, now we have the capabilities of creating very detailed high-resolution uh, 3D graphics that when you do screenshots on, let's say, Valkyria Chronicles uh, with its cell shading and stuff, it just looks you know, positively gorgeous. Or I was playing uh, Tomb Raider on the computer where every strand of hair now is you know, flowing off her back, and it's just it's amazing what they can do these days with the, with the 3D graphics. And some of those screenshots uh, you know, look, yeah, absolutely do look as good, if not a whole lot better than the the um, 2D graphics, if for no other reason, they're at a higher resolution. So I always, I always say it's about graphic design. It's not necessarily about either HD or, you know, or, or, or 3D or 2D. It's do you have a strong design? Do your graphics have a good identity? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, that's, um, that's true. And if 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 they do, um, then you'll stand the test of time. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we've preempted a discussion about your review, Mike, what else did you have? <laughs> oh, let's see here. I have been playing Ark the Lad 3. Oh, which... will, that, will that create another review that'll create more controversy? 
I don't know. I might actually rate it higher than two at this point. Ooh. I'm and I'm really enjoying it, even if I don't necessarily like the realistically proportioned sprite look as much as I did the super deformed ones of two. But oh, let's see. I am very, very close to finishing that game. You know the game. The one which has passed our discussion table many a time on this backtrack. And once it has finally been finished, and I am sure that the final battles will be extremely aggravating, because why not? Everything else is... No. Uh, Then you can look forward to my vitriol being expressed in extremely graphic and detailed print form, which will be passed along the internets to all avenues I can make po- I can make it do so via because this must be known. My is this, suffering. Is this that game that, that three or four other reviewers have attempted to review on RP Gamer and never finished it? Yes. Okay. I would be even I would even say that the PC version, at least for me, is worse than the console versions because the console versions I don't think ever crashed. Oh god. Anything that has the unmitigated gall to work worse on PC, to crash whenever I try to go into a town, as you as you never need to do in RPGs, you know, you never need to go into towns. Uh, no, I I cannot forgive things like that. That that is one of the most element basic functions of quality assurance, and if you fail it so miserably, I'm going to call you out on it. Anyway, yes, uh, that. There is exactly one movie that I will mention now. Who's the black private dick that's a sex machine? All the chicks. Come on, Becky. You're damn right. I feel like I should know the answer to that. (laughs) All I have to say about that is Richard Rantree is awesome. When. When he's talking to his police informant guy, police informant guy holds up a black pen next to him. Hey, you're not that black. Richard Rantry then holds up a white teacup next to him. Hey, you're not that white. <laughs> <laughs> or his, resp- his response when the police informant asks him, Hey, man, what have you got? I got laid. Oh, jeez. <laughs> he's right. He did. <laughs> he's Richard Rantry. <laughs> he can do that. So, uh, if you feel like watching Richard Roundtree be awesome, go watch Shaft. I know it's been remade with Sam Jackson, who's probably the best possible choice nowadays, but I haven't seen that. I saw the original. It's good. Your turn, Phil. (laughs) Well, um, don't get to watch a lot of um, old movies, but I have been watching an old show with my wife lately, Columbo. Just the facts, man. I just got one question for you. Just one more question. <laughs> uh, it all kind of, yeah, it kind of came up because I, I like to read a lot of theology books, and one of them was talking about um, questioning things like the way Columbo does when you're talking to somebody who doesn't agree with your viewpoint, and um, so that was kind of that was kind of interesting. Um, it's been pretty cool, and uh, the shows, anyways, 
So it's always fun looking at. I mean, they used rotary phones back then, and the the cell phones they had in the cars were like big bricks and crap. That's awesome. I watched a brief sequence with a friend a couple months ago of a TV show, and at first I thought, "Oh, this has to be set. In, this has to be in some really low down, scuzzy neighborhood because they've all of these apartments have phones on the walls." <laughs> and then, I, and they told me that some of it takes place in the '90s, and some of it takes place currently. Ah, nice. So, um, what else? Uh, my boss got me into uh, uh, a mobile game, which I'm not usually don't play too many of those, but uh, this one is uh, might have heard of it, Clash of Clans, where. You basically build up, um, like, uh, not necessarily a town, but you have a base and you build defenses around it and walls around it. So, almost in a way, it's like tower defense, except your opponents are going to be other players who are building soldiers and throwing them at you. You, in turn, can build your own soldiers and go rampaging on other people's bases uh, to steal resources. So, that's kind of cute. Unfortunately, like all of these mobile games there's micro purchases and if you don't want to pay then you just got to be extremely patient because building buildings especially later on takes days or even more than a week apparently so yeah it's kind of like a real-time strategy game but it's really slow but it is kind of cool i mean when i play real-time strategy games you're either playing with somebody in real time which yeah i don't usually like to play like starcraft against other people real time um i think yeah that that went badly a while back yeah yeah the uh the uh yeah so but it's kind of cool where you can you can kind of pick the you know the base that somebody else has built and just go against their defenses that they're not actively manning it's just automated defenses so uh that's pretty neat for for a mobile game as long as you've got patience and don't want to you know get tempted to put 800 bucks into it um it's pretty cute for what it does um Hmm. Been playing, still been uh, playing some more Final Fantasy V, and got some more classes there. Uh, got dancer and stuff. I'm on the second world, so I'm actually making progress there. And I haven't had to stop and look things up on an FAQ, which makes me happy. So far, don't think I've had to look up an FAQ. No, no FAQ. Wait a minute. I think you've been playing something else recently, Phil. Uh, let me think here. <laughs> Does that sound familiar to you, Becky? Uh, oh, uh, stupid freaking gay. Well, I was kind of saving it for the for the you know the podcast we're gonna have on it, but you're not gonna go too in depth right now. I'm pretty sure you're gonna go to bed soon. Yeah, uh, it's just uh, yeah, Mass Effect. I, I just. Uh, Maybe if I get my hate out now, I won't have as much for the podcast because, and that way, everybody who loves it to death won't feel like so bowled over by my twenty-minute monologue that I've Don't saved worry about up over me. three I've games. I've never played it. You know, it's it's then, then give us a sample, but don't go into the whole thing. Save it. Save that. Save it. Save Otherwise, it. you might you might be so full of vitriol that you keep poor Becky up. We don't want to do that. I don't know. I just I'm not a huge fan of this whole. I've got a team. Tactical, what's it called? There was a there. There's a genre game called Tactical Shooter. I never played them. Where instead of just being a normal first person shooter, a tactical shooter is one where you have other team members and you can give them orders and kind of direct them. 
Call of Duty that? Like Call of – yeah, maybe it's Call of Duty. I'm sure somebody who plays tactical person shooters or whatever they're called will, will correct us. So I, now I play the occasional first-person shooter. Go around, I play Bioshock. That's a lot of fun. Uh, but I've never really dived into the tactical things because if I want to play a tactical RPG, I'll go play Final Fantasy Tactics or – you know, or something along those lines. Or I'll play a real-time strategy game. And if I want to shoot people, I'm going to go play a first-person shooter. So Mass Effect, you know, is just is just the natural progression as RPGs, you know, used to be kind of turn-based affairs and have become more and more real-time. But they insist on, unlike Fallout 3, where you're by yourself for the most part in shooting things, uh, this one you have two other team members. So it feels more like one of those tactical shooter, I guess, things that I've read about. But the NPCs are so stupid. They run forward and they get blasted by the enemy and they die before I even hit the space bar to pause combat and issue orders. It's evil. It's driving me bananas. They die so much. <sighs> and then I tell sometimes I actually get to hit the space bar first and I'm like, go hot, go go behind that wall where there's cover and shoot from behind cover so maybe you'll last more than five seconds. And they don't do it. Or, or they'll go behind cover for just a second, and then they'll just stand out and, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And who who were we talking to that night when I was ranting on it, Mike? Who was it we had on that call? It was Becky, right? That was me. It was Becky, I right? Just forgot. I forgot. I got short term memory, but I liked how Becky, <laughs> Becky. So Becky, Becky's listening to me bellyache the other day about this. We were all on a Skype call uh, when we were trying to do the show a couple of days ago, and I was bellyaching about this and. Uh, Becky's husband has played this before, so she all she she yells at him. She says, "Hey, is there anything? To, is is there any way to keep the NPCs from dying?" Phil says his NPCs keep in the party keep dying, and her husband replies back, "Nope, they're meat shields. <laughs> <laughs> they're not even good. I I, I will switch. Uh, I will switch out at least one, if not both, party members with with tanky, more tanky NPCs." Uh, when I get back to the ship and yeah and the such maybe that'll be a better strategy because the guys I have now just really aren't super great meat shields so your hit points mean crap in this game uh, I've like I'm like level 12 or 13 I think I've got like 200 it doesn't matter no no so anywho we'll, we'll see how it keeps going the story and the voice acting and the, the chit chatting back and forth is pretty interesting so far but I'm not far enough in the game to to really give it but I'll, we'll, we'll talk a lot more on the mass effect podcast um yay and for you it's it's not part of the battle royale so yeah yeah i'd be writing like a three paragraph uh paragraph thing on there there's a lot of great conversation everybody at rpgamer.com we have forums that are just full of rpg maniacs yes, i just we just put up round th- match three of the first round of our battle system battle royale on rp gamer Right. We, we mentioned it at uh, during our last podcast, and we're mentioning it again. Get in on this. Uh, how often is it? Once a week? Is it we do a battle every week or every five days? No, or? three a week. Three a week. Okay. So Thrice three, weekly. Thrice weekly. We're, we're, we're pairing off RPGs head-to-head. Yes, if you're tuning in just now, you've already missed the chance to see Xenoblade versus Fallout 3 and... Final Fantasy X-2 versus The World Ends With You has just been concluded. Apparently, a whole rush of X-2 fans swarmed in to make the reader vote not so close anymore. It was... <laughs> uh, when I checked it a couple... When I locked in my vote uh, a couple of days ago, it was like 57 or 58% uh, 
for X two. So is it the reader votes that swung that one where the where the staff members tied up on it? Yeah. I went with World Ends With You. I haven't played a great deal of that game, but it was far more interesting to me than Ten Two just because Ten Two reminded me of Grandia. And you know what? It wasn't as good as Grandia. Just Sorry. because you could knock people up in the air? No, you couldn't do that, and really your position didn't matter much. Sure, you can change your classes in the mid-battle. So what? You didn't yeah. really need to. Um, yeah, Grand- is, is a Grandia game on there? That will be... Uh, yes. What, what is Grandia 2 versus... Oh, it's versus Valkyria Chronicles. That'll be an interesting debate. Oh, right. We spoke about that earlier. Go That's Grandia. Go Grandia. So yeah, be be like me and write a four paragraph dissertation of which <laughs> which one in each pairing that you like and why, and uh, have nerd debates back and forth that ultimately mean nothing, but they're just a lot of fun to do. So, the new one, which I just put up in the last few minutes, is Final Fantasy Thirteen versus E Seven. Oh, I don't have any experience with E Seven. I didn't care much for the first E's, but Seven's a, probably a lot more advanced than the first one. Uh, it's it's very very different in terms of the battle system. Very very different. Uh, hey, the first the first ease had something to recommend it. Sheer simplicity. It was very simple. Yeah, it, it was cute. I mean, it was cute. Don't get me wrong. I I actually did play. I actually put like the I don't first know, four or five hours into it. it. Yeah, that's enough time to beat it. Maybe I was close to the end and didn't know it, but I just kind of got bored with the with the, the rather... first ease is a very short game. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, that's that's the current matchup. The next one will be swapped out in the early hours of Monday if you are on the East Coast, and because I am the one doing it, it will be swapped out in the evening hours of Sunday because I am not on the East Coast. Hmm. Yay. Um, so yeah, converse with us there on the boards. Uh, we're on Twitter. I'm twitter.com forward slash JC Servant. Uh, Mr. Mike, what's your handle on Twitter? Jumason. J-U-M-E-S-Y-N. So if you want to chit-chat with us, both of us uh, are tweeting, tweeting, whatever, tweeting. <laughs> tweeting a lot more on Twitter lately. I think both of us have been pretty active on there. Of course, you can also... Uh, Comparatively. Yeah. can also shoot course, us off course, emails. Half of my tweets are about, me- are about movies anyway. Yeah, we get a little more personal uh, on there. Uh, with me, it's what games I'm playing, whatever I'm studying in, uh, in Bible or theology stuff um, and the such. But uh, a little bit of everything. Um, and uh, I'm kind of going through my backlog and occasionally like Becky was helping me we were tweeting back and forth about uh, about Atelier games so I could rate them in my backlog which I appreciate so doing backlog reorganization right now got a new system I'm using that makes it a little bit easier to order things and kind of keep them straight in my head and prioritize them anywho so if you want to leave us comments you can do it there you can also write us on jcservant at I almost want to say rpgamer.com, but man, do I get a lot of spam on there. Uh, Cyberlightcomics.com would probably get answered quicker. And my good friend, Mr. Mike Minky, is Albert Odyssey at hotmail.com, right? Yeah. I. It, it keeps working. I've had that email for a long time, actually. There you go. So uh, go and leave us some comments. We really appreciate it. RPG, uh, of course, we also appreciate uh, Becky and what was that other guy's name again? Whoa. Mr. Baker. Whoa. 
I apologize for the background. No, you probably didn't hear that, Mike, but some music accidentally got into the uh, podcast there for a few seconds. Brought to us by the uh, mouse over advertisements found only at rpgamer.com. Uh, so, <laughs> damn that with my mouse in the wrong place. Uh, anywho, uh, who, who, somebody else was on the show, right? Mr. Baker. Mr. Baker. We love Mr. Baker. Especially after we forget who he, he is. He who is on such a different time zone than the rest of us that he had only hit the afternoon phase of the day. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Uh, appreciate you both being on the show. Appreciate Mr. Mike who puts this together because without him this definitely wasn't going to happen. Um, and we appreciate you all for listening and running over to iTunes and leaving us like five and a half star ratings. Appreciate that. Uh, RP Gamer is a production RPG, good lord, it's late. <laughs> RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on net. So uh, check out our swelling backlog of episodes at RPGamer.com. We have all 100. Listen to all of them. Listen to all of them from the beginning so you don't miss out on any references we make. Um, all 115. You can also listen to our sister shows. We have two sister shows now. We have the uh, Venerable RPG cast, which is well past its 300th episode. And uh, and then we have, the, what is it, the Active Topic Banter, I believe? Something like that? Active Topical Banter. I topical Banter. I was close. I listened to the last show. It was really good. Uh, so you'll want to go and check that out. They're up to their third episode uh, with Mr. Uh, Scott Wachamater and uh, I heard Mr. Max Storm on there and a few others. So you want to go and check that out as well. It's all at rpgamer.com. Of course, you can grab those off of iTunes and the such. Um, that's where I usually grab them from. So uh, leave us your comments at uh, board.rpgamer.com. And thank you so much for listening. Mr. Mike, do you have anything to put us to bed with? Not really. I think Becky and Mr. Baker said it pretty well as as regards this Atelier trilogy. Go play Atelier or Trilogy. Play Gus Games. Give them a try. Seriously. You find you might find out you like them. In fact, you will. Becky promises, or she'll give you your money back. Um. <laughs> Unless it's Monokimia on PSP, I gather that was not a good Gust game. I don't know. I heard the reviews. I never played it. I played it on PS2. Yeah. See, PS2 is better. Yeah, PS2 not, is. I played that it's one. Not full of load times and whatnot. Yeah. I played that one. It's okay. It, it definitely for retro style RP gamers. Yeah, there's a. It's it's simple. It's down to earth and uh, very colorful. Um, yeah, yeah, very, but just very much by the book as well. So, looking forward to the Atelier games and seeing how that has grown. All right, sorry about that. We're going now. We really are this time. Seriously, we are. Just some music or something. Bye bye.